This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host. 10K Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. A very highly anticipated show, I believe this will be, because this is the start of Transfer Palooza, Transfer Armageddon, however you want to disclaimer it, Transfer Shit Show. And this is going to be a shit show podcast, as we discussed minutes before we jumped onto this to record. Because there's so many names to throw out there, so much going on with the porthole, as Gerard loves to mention it. So this is going to be an interesting show. It might be two hours. It might be five hours. I don't know. We'll, we'll see at the end of it. But at least we're getting a little bit st- started a little bit earlier than usual. But Gerard, how you doing as we are, you know, what, 72 hours into Portal Palooza? It's crazy i mean we've sat here for like almost an hour just trying to figure out how do we categorize and organize talking about all these transfers a thousand plus transfers in the porthole and we're going to talk about 500 of them. no we're not going to talk about 500 of them but there's a thousand and there, and it's just it's a little overwhelming because obviously the 2023 class is is still trying to be finalized and you've got in-home visits with some of the 2023 recruits. You have on-campus visits with USC going out and seeing some of the top 2024 recruits. And then, yeah, every day you have more and more transfers. And it's not only the guys that have officially transferred that we're trying to keep track of. We're also trying to keep track of the guys that might potentially be in that portal uh, in the coming days. We have this first window. It's opened up this week. It goes all the way till January 18th. So in addition to the fact that you're going to have these announcements, you're also going to have some of these transfers taking official visits. So we're also on top of that. So, yes, it is hard to sort of filter and organize. Who do we talk about? What do we want to talk about? I think out of the gates, we'll just try to hit you with the bare minimum news of what's going on. And then, I don't know, Chris, maybe a little later, try to dive into a little more of the details on specific porthole uh, prospects and targets that USC is looking at and maybe potentially could be looking at, even the guys that are not officially in the porthole. Does that sound reasonable? (laughs) It sounds tantalizing, especially for these people that are listening to this podcast, the filthy casuals and the diehards. Uh, all the same, they want to hear our thoughts on Portal Palooza and all that is going on. And we have a lot of other things to talk about. We have some guys that are leaving USC. We want to mention those. Some offers that have gone out. You know, a five-star quarterback chose Florida over USC, DJ Lagway. So we will comment on that. A couple hours ago, that happened. So we'll, we'll comment on that. You've done some great 
portal poaching pieces for this week. And we're going to get into that. That's what you were kind of alluding to. As you said, we're going to talk about some of those in-home visits where the coaches have been hitting up across the country. One big decommitment to go off for decommitment season. We do have, you know, Utah versus uh, USC Pac-12 championship recruiting angle. Gerard, I do not believe you put up a piece about that because two too cruddy of a week for USC fans to put that up, but we'll we'll get your thoughts on that game and some of the positives and uh, the millions of negatives from that game. Uh, Deion Sanders, primetime. Uh, Gerard really doesn't want to talk about Deion Sanders going to Colorado, but I'm going to make him comment on prime going up to the Pac-12 and joining the Pac-12 and what that means for recruiting. Doesn't mean anything? I don't know. We'll see. And then we have some listener questions. As always, I got about five here for you, but before we can get into all of that, I just have to say a thank you to the official sponsor of Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser, 1A, the best real estate agent in Los Angeles. Now, you know, we're talking about Transfer Portal, and maybe you, as a normal person, a non-college football player, just an everyday person, is thinking of entering the housing Transfer Portal. See what I did there, Gerard? That's why I get paid the big bucks. Maybe you're thinking about transferring to a new house, you want to get rid of your current house. Whatever that may be, if you're needing to go down that path in the housing market in L.A., you have to go with Meredith Schlosser. And that is coming not just from me reading this off a piece of paper or anything. That's me as a client of Meredith Schlosser. Yes, her and her organization helped me get into my new house, I'm renting it. They also do rentals, not just sales, but it's been amazing. And I literally could not have done it without her. And Jeremy Hensley, shout out to him. And Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service a wide range wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation. She also has over 200 five-star Zillow reviews. That is hard to find on the L.A. real estate market. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H. L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can follow her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. So again, on the bottom of my heart, I'm telling you right now, make the right move. Go with Meredith Schlosser and her team. You will not regret it when you're looking for a new house or you're trying to sell your house. Just makes sense. Go with her and her team. Now, Gerard, it's time to get into what should be a fun show. I don't really know. It, it, I feel like it could be crazy just as crazy as the transfer portal has been. But I just want to start really quickly. You know, the transfer portal is not is is a revolving door. People come, people go. And USC has had some departures as well. Now, it maybe hasn't as been as much as we anticipated so early. But right now, it's only been four players. Four players that played on the team last year. There are two that have entered that departed from the program but officially entered now but the four that have entered so far from last year's or this current iteration of the team are linebacker julian simon safety Xavier offered linebacker taylor katoa and then raylan goforth who was a two-year starter big time rotational player for this uh, team and yeah so those are the four that usc has seen leave or enter the portal can i just get your quick reaction to those guys entering the portal? You know, I think it's very reflective of a lot of top teams in terms of 
the guys that are leaving that are actually productive versus the guys that are leaving that really have never done anything versus the guys that are leaving that have potential that were good high school prospects but never really did anything productive. So, you know, Goldforth is a guy that actually has starts. He has stats. If you're another college, you're looking at him going, okay, this is a guy that's actually played in some games and he's done some things. If you were to ask your average Trojan fan, is this a big loss? They'd say no. They'd say Goldforth had some games where he was out of position, uh, didn't have great instincts, missed some tackles, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but was a guy that also made some tackles and, and was somewhat productive, at least enough that, you know, we saw him in almost every game of the season. Then you have Julian Simon, who hasn't really played at all, yet a guy that's a four-star that you hoped down the line could end up being a good inside linebacker for USC. People were excited about him when he committed out of Tacoma, Washington. He was a, you know, all-American level player, played running back and some linebacker uh, at his high school. And so that's a guy that, you know, you're a little sad we didn't get to see him on the field, at least get some reps. And that'll be a question that, you know, comes up as we see him transfer and where he goes and if he's productive somewhere else, you know, why didn't he get a shot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Alfred played some for USC, but hurt, injured this entire year. And that's a really good safety room. I mean, USC's got a lot of good, Young safeties. Now they use multiple safeties on the field, you know, just in their base package, you're going to see three safeties on the field almost every play. And in some instances, you might see four safeties. So they do have a lot of guys that they rotate in. But I think the coaching staff was pretty happy with the guys that they had. Um, And it's really a position where there's a surprising amount of youth. I think a lot of people would think, you know, there's more upperclassmen at that safety position. But truth is eligibility wise, it's, it's really heavy on uh, redshirt freshmen and sophomores right now. And, and Taylor Katoa, we never really saw him. You know, he went on his mission. He was hurt. Uh, never really played much for USC was a guy that they kind of got later uh, in the, in the process when he was coming out of high school. And again, uh, not a guy that, you know, Trojan fans, most of the filthy casuals probably don't even know who Taylor Katoa is. So, yeah, I think that I think that group sort of represents a little bit of what you see with Alabama and LSU and Oklahoma. There's a lot of guys there that are just guys. They're just names that people remember from the high school ranks that got a four star. And the thing about the parastyle right now, they're just jumping at any defensive recruit in the front seven from Clemson, from Oklahoma, from Alabama. They're just, oh, we need this guy. We need that guy. We need this guy. And it's almost become a meme at this point. Let's look at guys that have actually been productive at the college level. I mean, I said this the last few podcasts, and I'm sticking to it. I think USC, this is my opinion. I'm not speaking for the coaching staff. They need to evaluate these transfers by what they've done in college, not what they've done in high school. And I think part of what you're seeing with this 1,000-plus transfers in the portal is the 2020 COVID season and the fact that nobody got to see a lot of these guys at camps. Nobody got to see uh, the juniors turning into seniors in person that whole year. So most of the scholarship offers that went out and most of the rankings that were done during that cycle were done based on junior film. And so you're seeing some guys that are busts. You're seeing some guys that were all Americans 
that have no production at the colleges that they were, uh, that they're leaving from, um, you know, people are getting excited about those names because they just remember, you know, what they did in high school. And I, I don't think if you're USC at this point in time, when you're, the key is trying to upgrade your roster, right? That this is what they're trying to do. They're not just trying to replace guys on defense. Okay. So offensively, yeah, you're trying to replace some guys because the offense is very good and you don't necessarily need a big overhaul, but defensively, they not only need to replace guys, key is they need to get better. So I think you're not getting better by taking gambles on guys that were past four-star recruits that have been at a college for two years and have five tackles. That's, that's not, that's, I don't think that's getting better. I think you're taking uh, some gambles there, maybe on some players that are not necessarily going to be super productive for you. So, yeah, I think this group really sort of, you can, you have to look at it from the perspective of other programs you know, these guys leaving A&M and you go to the Texas A&M board, you know, how many of those players are the Aggie fans really broken up about leaving, right? Same thing with Alabama. Like, that's where you sort of see the different perspective. It's from the, the fan bases that are looking for players are like, oh, my gosh, this offensive lineman, former five-star, oh, my gosh, we got to get that guy. We need offensive tackles. And then you go to the Bama board and you're like, yeah, this guy's played one snap in two years and has been hurt most of his career. That's usually not the guy you want to go after. No, it's not. And you've mentioned several war stories about, you know, taking kind of those guys in and then not paying off for USC. Now, we talked about the guys who are leaving USC or in the portal now for USC. And now let's talk about some of the kind of the surface level stuff, but just just offers that are floating out there that, you know, offers that have been made public from USC for, for some portal guys who have posted about it or they've mentioned it in a, an interview. So because portal offers are very, some of them are very under the radar. Some of them aren't necessarily posted out there on social media like, you know, high schoolers will do live post every offer. You know, a portal guy might only drop three of his offers or none of his offers. And so it's very hit or miss when seeing offers out there in the public sphere uh, a lot of that is is mainly done on the on the back channels once they get in and they're having conversations out of the portal. But there are been a couple, there have been a couple that have been posted out there. I'm just going to read off some of the lists for those that we know. Uh, Alabama cornerback Kyrie Jackson has an offer. He is a former JUCO standout, and he's from my neck of the woods in the DMV, specifically Upper Marlboro, where I am also from. So I know a lot of people are already saying, "All right." 10K's got him. No, it's not, it's not that simple. But he is a highly touted cornerback out of that area in the JUCO ranks. Started for them a couple times. I believe he started in the, the national championship game uh, against Georgia. So he has some experience there. Uh, Western Michigan defensive tackle Braden Fisk, guy who hasn't really he hasn't posted the offer, but he's mentioned it in an interview. Uh, Washington State linebacker Travion Brown, he posted his interview actually and then deleted the offer. So that one was a little bit interesting. The big one, the P has been going crazy over, that is Texas A&M defensive tackle Tumisi Adele. Gerard, how did I do that? Did I do okay? It's Tumisa, I believe. Tumisa Adele. Okay. Well, former top 100 prospect, I believe he's number 39 in the composite, top 10 defensive line prospect, six foot three, 280 pounds. USC fans drooling over. Uh, him, you know, possibly lining up in Cardinal and Gold. 
uh, a guy they could really use. Uh, and yeah, just a super talented guy. Uh, Georgia State offensive outside linebacker, excuse me, Jamil Muhammad. That one came out today. Uh, Coastal Carolina edge rusher Josiah Stewart also came out today. Uh, Gerard, I don't know if you're noticing a pattern with these offers, but all defensive prospects and Stewart, 12 and a half sacks as a true freshman, freshman All-American, set the program record at Coastal Carolina. Less less sacks in 2022, only three and a half this year, but a talented edge rusher off the end. Uh, West Virginia cornerback Mumu bin Wahad. Uh, he also claims an offer from from USC. So as you can see, lots of defensive portal talent being looked at by this Trojan staff. And I couldn't think of a reason why USC would want to upgrade their defense, Gerard. I can't think of one reason. <laughs> yeah, very, very obvious. Uh, and like we said, this is not just about replacing players on defense. This is also about upgrading. So you need some guys that are productive. And there's some production in that group. And we'll talk about that later. I think we'll get into the nitty gritty of maybe some of these names and what they bring to the table in terms of production statistics. But, uh, you know, sort of how do they fit, perhaps, with USC? Um, these are not guys that have committed to USC, so we don't want to get too far down the road with that. But these are the, you know, first group of players that USC has earmarked uh, for you know, potential visits uh, coming here. And uh, we're going to be, I guess, you know, the, the, see, the thing is the portal closes January 18th, but that's not when you, you have to commit by January 18th. Mm -hmm. um, these guys are going to be taking visits. Uh, they'll be officially in there. And I think January you're going to see uh, because, you know, most of the 2023 class is probably going to sign in December. You know, that's going to be where you have a lot of the official visits of maybe some of the bigger, name players the guys that don't you know get in the porthole and then you know a few hours later a boom uh committed to another school we'll see some of that and that's going to be interesting because I, I i think even though it's a thousand plus college football players that are in the transfer portal right now i think you're going to see more and so we're kind of waiting to see every day you know if that next big name ends up in there i think there's just a lot of talk going on behind the scenes before those names are even publicly released Absolutely. And kind of one of the last notes of, you know, the transfer portal surface level news is with wide receiver Gary Bryan Jr., you know, a current Trojan who I think a lot of people assumed was going to, you know, hop right in that portal. Come uh, December 5th, I uh, decided to, you know, they played in the first three games of the season, then decided to be on the scout team and take that red shirt. And people saw that as a sign of him, you know looking ahead to finding a new school. But, you know, it's been reported this week, and Gerard, I know you mentioned this on the Peristyle, that as of right now, Gary Bryant Jr. is planning on staying with the Trojans, which, you know, how how could you not? Uh, if you're kind of watching this offense from the sideline and in practice and could be playing with a Heisman winner next season in uh, Caleb Williams, uh, we'll know that after Saturday, but... You know, Gary Bryant, talented wide receiver, has had some injury issues, but when he's been healthy, he's been very fast, very good hands, can be a deep threat, and it it looks like he wants to to stick around at least for now to kind of see what his role will be, possibly uh, moving forward in spring and stuff. Yeah, so I talked to a, a couple sources that are very close to him, and he is not 
going to enter the transfer portal as of now. He is going to graduate next spring. And so I think what he's thinking of doing is making sure he gets his degree. He's not going to play in the bowl game. And at this point, he's not committed to playing in spring ball. So I don't necessarily know that this is Gary Bryant Jr. is going to stay at USC, period. It's just he's looking forward to graduating. He wants to get that under his belt. Perhaps USC is able to talk him on the other side of this semester into staying and at least participating in spring ball, see how things sort of you know, play themselves out in spring football in terms of the depth chart, and then make that decision as to whether uh, you want to leave or not. Like you said, you know, offensively, it's like, can you find another school that's going to be at this level? There's very few that uh, were better than USC in terms of uh, their offensive production this past year. But at the same time, you know, he had a spot and there were some guys that beat him out. And that second wave that was there, you know, as you started to see injuries with Mario Williams and Jordan Addison later in the year, played pretty well. You know, Michael Jackson, uh, the third, Kyle Ford, um, you know, uh, Taj Washington. There's uh, a handful of players there in that receiver room that stepped up and played pretty well. And so he's got a lot of competition. Uh, I think Gary Bryant Jr. can definitely play at USC. I think he can be uh, an asset for that offense, particularly with his ability to get vertical and his ability to return kicks, which we've already seen at USC. I mean, this is a guy that has some production under his belt at USC, but he has to feel like the offense fits what he does. And he has to feel like, you know, he's going to be an impact player there. A lot of these guys that are four-star All-Americans, they got people in their ears, sometimes family members, sometimes it's trainers, high school coaches, and it's all about, hey, man, you need to go get yours. You need to go get yours. And that doesn't mean, you know, go out into a situation where you're sharing the football maybe as much. I mean, you look and see what Jordan Addison did. I mean, he took a big hit in terms of his reception total this year because he played on the team that had multiple good receivers. So even though you're playing with a Heisman Trophy winner and, you I mean, he did make the Belitnikoff list, he clearly, from a production standpoint, even coming in to that transfer, he knew that you're going to be sharing the ball a bit. You know, you don't have a Mario Williams. Um, you don't have a Taj Washington. You don't have all these different weapons uh, at Pittsburgh like you do at USC. So I, I think, you know, that's something that has to be part of the equation when you're making this decision. Do you want to be a part of a good football team that wins a lot of games? Because if you are, you're probably not going to be the only guy in the pass offense. It's usually not how it works. Good football teams have a lot of good football players. That's going to be a conversation perhaps Lincoln Riley and Dennis Simmons have with Gary Bryant. Uh, when you get into January, you get into, you know, just before uh, spring football. And we'll see. I think ultimately that's going to be the big question is, he, does he actually participate in spring football? That would be, to me, the sign that he is considering possibly staying. But if he doesn't participate in spring football, then this is all for naught. It's just a matter of getting his degree and then going into the porthole uh, during that May through May 15th window. Yeah, and I think we'll see a lot more of that movement for USC players because a lot of them still do have the opportunity to get their degree, finish up that degree. And, you know, while you're here, might as well get that USC degree. So I think we'll see a lot more during the second wave just because guys are still finishing up 
uh, degrees and stuff and they want to get that diploma and as they should, you know, they've earned it. You know, if they work hard in the classroom, go get that diploma, go get that USC diploma. It carries a lot of weight out there. So we'll be able to see what happens as we move forward. But as of right now, you know, as I mentioned, Raylan Goforth, Julian Simon, Xavier Offord, and Taylor Katoa are the only four players that have entered so far. For all I know, three more are going to hit the portal in the course of doing this podcast. But also uh, Jaden Williams and Jake Smith, two guys that left the program last offseason, they officially entered the portal this week as well. And those are guys who were sort of, I guess you used that, that, that loophole was used for Lincoln Riley where they can stay at school. They just don't count towards the scholarship number. They can stay in school, finish up their degrees, and that's what they that's what went on with those guys. And now they're officially, now that they're done, they're going to the portal and looking to continue their football journey elsewhere. So technically, six guys are in the portal for USC, but only four that played on the team this current season. And to interject uh, something mm-hmm. on that, Chris, with Jake Smith specifically, is that the NCAA is now going to penalize schools uh, that have medical red shirts or retirements with these transfers. So if you bring in a transfer and he medically retires, that player is going to stay on your 85-man scholarship roster until his eligibility is used up. So that's another reason why when you're looking at these transfers and you're bringing guys in, you have to vet them medically very, very carefully. The days of bringing in uh, um, Ishmael Sopcher and Jake Smith, oh, yeah, we made a mistake. I guess they can't play football anymore or they're still playing football, but obviously, you know, those those injuries, we'll see, you know, how productive they can be. You cannot have that type of weight on your roster because it's just dead weight. It's just guys taking up scholarships. And if they don't transfer somewhere else, you're going to take that hit. So instead of having any five scholarship that you can give out, you're going to only have, you know, maybe 82 scholarships or, or 81 scholarships, which we see how important depth is when you're trying to get into that 11, 12, 13 win season. You got to play a lot of guys and USC just didn't really have the quality of depth to, to get there. Um, but going forward, yeah, you're, you're going to be taking up scholarship, you know, three, four years. It just depends on what type of eligibility they have when they bring it and then they come in. So that's a big key point uh, in all of this in terms of evaluations as well. Good point. Good addition, as always, Gerard. And now I think we can kind of move on to our next point out of the cold open with some of these uh, transfer portal notes until we get into a deeper look. But, you know, we do have a, a sort of a topic that would have headlined as the cold open on most uh, given podcasts, but not during the transfer portal week. No, it cannot. It gets bumped to second tier, especially because, you know, USC did not win in this recruiting battle, and that is four-star quarterback 2024 out of Texas, Willis, Texas, DJ Lagway, choosing Florida over USC and Baylor and some other schools. Uh, USC was in the mix, but the Florida Gators sort of had that inherent lead, if you will, for a lot of the time, and USC was able to get a big unofficial visit from Lagway and his family for the Notre Dame game. The Notre Dame win was, was a big recruiting weekend and you know it was mentioned on this podcast that if usc did get that visit you know it's a good it's a good spot for them it's 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 huge that they were able to get that visit and kind of stay in the minds of uh dj and his family and lincoln riley even 
went ahead and took a visit to Willis, Texas uh, this week. Stopped by to see DJ Lagway, you know, leading up to his commitment today, which was on ESPN2. But in the end, it was the Gators that uh, triumphed over everyone else. And, you know, 2024, it's not the end of the world. USC is going to be able to recruit quarterbacks. You know, there's still some targets in 2024. Elijah Brown still on the board for the Trojans, the local modern-day kid. And, you know, by the end of this week on Sunday, you know, Lincoln Riley could have a third, most likely is going to have a third Heisman winner to his resume. And as a quarterback, you know, that is a very enticing thing. So obviously USC will be fine in the 2024 class. I know a lot of Parastylers liked DJ Wagway, Lag, Lagway, excuse me, not Wagway, DJ Lagway over the modern day kid, Elijah Brown. But in the end, uh, big six foot two, 225. You even got a baseball scholarship from uh, USC. He's a top end baseball prospect as well. Similar, maybe not on the level of Deuce Robinson, who could go pro uh, out of high school, but a talented baseball prospect in his own right. So Florida wins out. Draw, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but anything you wanted to react to this uh, loss for, for Lincoln Riley and USC? Yeah, USC definitely made up some ground with that unofficial visit during the Notre Dame game weekend. I thought they might have a better shot than I think they ended up having. I think DJ definitely made up his mind uh, when he announced he was going to commit today. The visit to USC, I always got the sense that maybe it was to just eliminate USC for sure. Like, okay, USC kind of getting some momentum here. Caleb Williams, I'd like to see him up close. I'd just like to see Lincoln Riley work, see the environment. He took that unofficial visit in May, and we spoke to him uh, right before he took that official visit. That was the Memorial Day weekend when he came out for the Clarkson camp. And, you know, USC was probably third or fourth on his list at that point. And took the unofficial visit. USC was still probably third on his list. I think Florida and Baylor were both higher. Uh, Texas A&M was was pretty high up on his list for a while until this season. And offensively, they obviously have not uh, played very well. But Florida sort of always seemed to be there. And I thought when he made that visit, you know, USC possibly could steal him away from Florida. I, I thought that there was a chance there. I never really got that impression post-visit. I think that the most that I got from any sources was, you know, USC made up a lot of ground, and this became more of a decision for him to make. It wasn't, okay, went to USC, yeah, for sure, I can cross them off my list. It was, well, wait, you know, that's that's something to think about now. You know, the big city, uh, the big stage. Caleb Williams and and everything that offense has done this season with this turnaround, comparing it to you know what USC looked like last season, and the environment and the atmosphere, which was great for the Notre Dame game. I think all of it surprised him to some extent. Is really the vibe that I got more from DJ Lagway side of things, whereas USC felt like you know we're, we feel like we made some we made some gains there but we're not sure sort of thing was the vibe I was getting from USC sources, which wasn't too different than even like Francis Maragoa. You know, that was sort of similar. It felt that way where USC was getting it on campus and it was like, we've got ground to make up, but maybe we can make up that ground. Like he's within 
striking distance. I think that was how people felt with Lagway coming away from that visit during the Notre Dame game. But at the end of the day, goes to Florida. You know, the 2024 recruiting board for quarterbacks is really one guy right now. It's Elijah Brown, the uh, 6'2", 195-pound four-star quarterback out of modern-day high school. Uh, they did offer Dylan Riola out of Arizona and said that he was going to be the only guy that they were going to offer at that point. Uh, they put kind of put all their eggs in that basket, and then he turned around and committed to Ohio State. Um, I don't know that USC is going to continue to go after either player. I think Lagway of that group certainly fits the offense the best. I think there's a lot that you see uh, that he does on film, which is very similar to what you see with what USC does with Caleb Williams. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it a little more with the recruiting angle piece, but this is one of those quarterbacks that I think the, the, the style of quarterback, the profile quarterback that Lincoln Riley has been super successful with and sort of has to continue to, you know, use this recipe. You know, I, I think um, with Riola and Brown, there's a lot more questions there in terms of uh, fit and style compared to the guys that Lincoln Riley has used and, and has been very successful with. So this is a loss for USC. It is early, you know, maybe down the line, if Florida starts to have a year like Texas a and is having this year, you never know what could happen. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how USC pushes forward with the 2024-24 target list. Uh, it is a position, however, that I think USC is in good shape twofold. For one, it's 2024, and there's always going to be quarterbacks on the West Coast. Now, they're going to be quarterbacks that fit the Lincoln Riley system that, uh, you know, sort of check all the boxes the way Lagway did, um, remains to be seen. But the West Coast is one place that you don't have to worry about quarterbacks. It's like being in the Deep South worrying about defensive tackles. You just don't worry about the quarterback position when you're on the West Coast. Secondly, Lincoln Riley has had a tremendous, a tremendous amount of success with transfer quarterbacks. I, I mean, you know, I mean, Baker Mayfield, Kyler uh, Murray, Jalen uh, Hurts. And Caleb, Caleb Williams, Williams. Technically. <laughs> technically, Caleb Williams is a transfer. I mean, not really because he was there with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. But yeah, technicality. All those guys, all those guys being transfers, um, you know, Lincoln Riley has had a tremendous success plugging and playing players in. So, again, you know, if they strike out with a particular class and there is a need there to bring a guy in that's a, a junior or senior, I mean, you've seen how quickly this team uh, with all the mercenary players they have on this roster have figured out this offense and being able to make it not only good, but I mean, elite, I think that, you know, there's nobody really losing a lot of sleep uh, over losing DJ Lagway. No. Well, I, I think there are a couple of Peristyle members who are losing sleep over losing DJ Lagway. I will just say that. And we can say with confidence, it'll be okay. It'll work itself out and we'll just keep it moving. It's 2024. Lots of time. From now until 2024 signing day. So we'll see what happens. And whatever quarterback USC and Lincoln Riley get for the 24 class, I'm sure you will be excited about them. So let's keep it moving, Gerard. Like USC has to keep it moving from DJ Lagway's recruitment. But your portal recruiting pieces or poaching pieces, excuse me, uh, which have been very popular when you dropped them on Monday and I believe uh, Tuesday as well. So... Let's 
get into it. I, this is this is the the part of the show that could get wild because there's tons of names to sort through. I I really don't know how this is gonna go because giving you <laughs> giving a bunch giving you a bunch of names to talk about and just you in general talking about them means that this section of the the show could be three hours. I don't know, just this section alone. So I'm gonna try to do my best to keep you focused and hone you in. But then again, I know everyone's screaming at their listening to this podcast right now, like, don't you dare. Don't you dare uh, tell him to be quiet or don't you dare try to uh, skirt what he's saying. Or, don't or try to rein in the hurricane. Is, is, is a yeah, don't try to rein into the hurricane. I'm just going to go straight into the eye of the hurricane and just, you know, see what happens. But what is the structure of how you want to talk about this? I mean, you've already kind of talked about well, this upgrading is what, this for is- replacing. This is this is the challenging part of this. And, and you know, we kind of have to sort of get it out in front of us. And then I think, you know, with future features and podcasts, we'll have a better idea of, OK, yeah, this this is the best way to sort of tackle this. But I guess the first thing we do is we talk about offense and then we talk about defense and we talk about general needs for the offense and the defense. Now, as you said at the beginning of the show when we talked about the offers that have gone out, they have been mainly uh, almost exclusively on the defensive side of the ball. I think there are some offensive offers actually floating out there, Mm -hmm. but in terms of publicly, what we know is that the defense has been where the focus uh, for USC is right now. And it probably should be. We'll talk about the defense first. And the first thing when you talk about the defense And again, going back to the theme here is upgrading, not just replacing, but upgrading. Yes, you have to replace some players, bodies on the roster, and some production there. You want to upgrade and get better. And so you've got to find some players that actually have some production behind them uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And so with defensive line, right now, I don't see – Anybody in the porthole that's a wow type of prospect, which you say, okay, that's a guy that is going to change the way Alex Grinch calls his defenses. I think you've got some decent players that are good and that will improve the front seven for USC. But the wow sort of three technique, that guy's still floating around out there. Uh, We don't know if you know, he's going to end up in the portal. And I would say, you know, maybe a guy like Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M, the freshman defensive tackle, who at the moment is suspended indefinitely. He played really well in the spring game, former five-star defensive tackle, depending on what publication you're looking at. And a guy that USC sort of recruited out of high school. I think he ended up taking two unofficial visits to USC, but never took an official visit. And USC was never at the, the 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 high end of the schools that he was looking at. So, like in terms of production at Texas A&M, he has not done a whole lot because he got suspended in October with you know a handful of other players. But as a guy that I think, because he's so fresh out of high school, you could still look at what he did in high school and say, okay, th- that guy could be an impact player. Right. So we're not looking two years ago or three years ago 
And now looking at, you know, he's only played one season, done any, he's pretty new to college football and to do a whole lot. So I think that could be a guy that potentially, when we're talking about potential, would be a guy that USC would be interested in uh, in the portal. I think, um, you know, Walter Nolan is another guy that we've heard some chatter about. Uh, now, I believe he reinstated that he's going to stay at Texas A&M uh, very recently. Um, that's the last that I've heard. So he's a former five-star guy from Tennessee. He has been somewhat productive at Texas A&M of that group of freshmen that they brought in. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, he's a guy that actually played as a freshman and didn't have any issues with getting suspended. But that would be another guy that would be a wild guy. So we don't have that sort of impact immediate, okay, this dude is going to, you know, be one of the the guys that we're talking about during the season, like Eric Gentry or, uh, you know, like a, like a Travis Dye, but for the defensive tackle position. And that's really, you know, what USC needs, I think, to, to, to get this defense to where we're playing at this, you know, cusp elite level. And they're far from that right now. So what is on the board? Well, we talked about Braden uh, Fisk. Uh, you know, he's about 285 pounds. Um, he's, he's a lot bigger than his list weight on 24-7. I think 24-7 is basically going with his, like, I think it's 246, which is, I believe, what he was uh, listed at in high school. So he's a little bigger now. Um, 55 tackles, 10 for losses, four and a half sacks. So, you know, a guy that's been playing against decent competition at Western Michigan, a junior, you watched him in his film, he's very disruptive, playing against some better teams. And it's one of those things where, you know, he's played for Western Michigan. So, you know, the guys around him are not great. So they use him all over the field, though. I mean, they use him outside and inside. I think the one thing that USC has to sell, and we talked about this a lot with uh, Mateo Ungolele, is with Tuli, Tuli Pelotu, They've been able to use him all over the field. And a guy that plays defensive line is, is intrigued by that. You know, defensive linemen want to be looked at as athletes as well. And I think, you know, with Fisk being used already sort of like that, not to the extent of Tuli Pelotu. I mean, you know, he's not playing linebacker or going and playing in zero blitz coverages, you know, on the curl. Uh, but nevertheless, being used inside and outside, I think that's going to be something that's going to be very interesting watching the film that USC will show of him of uh, Tui Pelotu. Now he's going to, last I heard, take an official visit to Notre Dame this weekend. So he has that offer from USC. I could see him coming in maybe uh, that, that 16th weekend. That seems to be the big high school football weekend though. And the other thing about transfers is these guys can take, I mean, they take midweek visits all the time. So you never know. I mean, he could get three visits in, which between now and the dead period, it's, it's hard to know, you know, when these guys are going to schedule their visits or how they're going to stack their visits. Um, but right now it looks like he is uh, going to be at Notre Dame this weekend, or perhaps he's at Notre Dame now. It's again, kind of hard to, to know. I haven't uh, checked in recently, but um, Notre Dame obviously going to be a player for him. And, and some of those Midwest schools, he has quite a few offers uh, are, are going to be, you know, schools that USC has to compete with. But I do think it's interesting in how he's been used at Western Michigan and how USC can sort of show, you know, a blueprint for, for that type of player, you know, in their defense. Um, another guy that I think is, is out there that a lot of people are excited about. There's one thing that is a little bit questionable about him and why I don't think he's a wow 
defensive tackle or a guy in the interior that's out there in the portal is Miami sophomore defensive tackle Darrell Jackson. Now he has 27 tackles, four and a half uh, for losses, three sacks, huge big body, like a 6'5", 6'6", defensive tackle, very long, a lot of length, uh, which is you know what you really want to see out of a three technique uh, from a pass rushing standpoint. Uh, he transferred from Maryland to Miami, and that means that he might have to set out a year. Now, the Florida schools are, um, you know, because I think he's originally from Florida, and I, I don't necessarily know what the, the, the logic is behind that and why he wouldn't have to sit out, but there's been talks like he might be able to get a waiver. And so I don't know if that's just, a you know, if he goes to school uh, locally, uh, you know, in Florida, he obviously wouldn't be able to get any kind of waiver going to USC across the country. But this is a guy that in terms of his profile and his build, not the most productive guy, but, you know, he had three sacks four four and a half tackles for losses, but physically is definitely one of those guys that you go, okay, this is a dude, <laughs> you know, this is, this is sort of a dude. And um, I think, you know, just in terms of, from that angle, maybe the only guy that again could be at a cuts type level impact player when you look at him. Uh, one other guy that, you know, we've talked about being a, uh, an offer guy that is actually already been offered a scholarship is Tuminche Undele. Um, now, Tuminche Undele played Texas A&M, uh, only played in the first two games this season, only had six tackles. So he was injured this year. Um, don't know the extent of the injury. So that is, again, a red flag when you're talking about these guys, you're bringing them in with knee injuries, back injuries, anything that could be chronic you got to be very careful with because you just don't want to bring in a guy who's going to you know play a season and then ends up being uh, a medical redshirt or retires and quits football. Guess what? Um, those last two years of his uh, eligibility are going to sit there on your roster, and that's going to be two years where you don't have that scholarship to offer another player and replace him. So you do have to be very, very, very careful about that. Um, has a USC scholarship offer. I believe he's taking an official visit to Michigan State. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be this weekend or this week, but Michigan State has jumped in on him. He, he's pretty, uh, you know, uh, popular right now in terms of uh, offers, and there's a lot of schools that are trying to bring him in on official visits. But it is interesting that he did acknowledge his USC scholarship offer, and uh, that tells you that you know he, he's he's thinking about USC uh, to some extent. Um, there are. Several other names that we could mention. Um, again, I don't want to kind of go on and on and on because there's there's going to be quite a few targets here. We talked about some of the guys that would be probably the most interesting that are not in the portal, and then some guys that are in the portal that are interesting. Uh, I think you know we could transition talking about maybe edge rushers from the interior. Do you want to do that, Chris, or do you got anything to chime in on with uh, the interior guys? that are out there, which are the hardest to get. And certainly is a position that right now, it does not look like USC is going to get anybody out of the 2023 class. That is a ready-made impact player uh, as a true freshman. who's going to be able to play three technique, you know, one shade, zero shade type of player. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I really could add to that and just based off what kind of what you just said right now about USC, not really having an impact guy, at the 2023 spot in that class is I feel like it puts a lot more pressure 
on this staff to come up with somebody out of the portal, you know, to get an impact defensive tackle, impact interior lineman for this unit for next season. So I feel like the pressure is definitely feeling amping up a little bit on the staff to have to get somebody because they definitely need somebody and they need some bodies there, not just bodies you can throw at the the depth issue, but you need some impact guys. And, you know, I, I just feel like it's, it's, I'm not saying it's make or break, but it feels like they certainly need to get a big name out of the portal. And the thing about the portal is, yeah, you can do all that pre portal intelling, you know, working the back channels, but you don't know exactly who is going to jump in the portal at what time. So it's a little bit unpredictable. The whole thing is unpredictable. So it does add a little more element of pressure and needing to to hit on those guys. You definitely need to hit on some defensive linemen in this portal cycle. Yeah, Fisk is, is 300 pounds listed right mm-hmm. now. So, yeah, like I said, I, I think he was like 246 or something like that uh, in his profile. But that was out of high school. So he's a guy that's put on 60 pounds in college. You know, he's, he's surprised he's not from the West Coast because <laughs> that's sort of what you see with a a lot of the West Coast guys, you know, they're 250 pounds coming out of high school, and then they go, you know, somewhere off the grid, like, uh, you know, like a maybe a, a Minnesota or a, you know, even UC Davis or Portland State uh, or or Montana. A lot of times, and it's like, what happened? You know, this guy just blew up. That's sort of what happens in the West Coast. So he's a guy that you know has transformed his body quite a bit. Uh, Darrell Jackson, like I said, six six, three hundred. He's another big body. I, I said. You know, Jackson, if he could actually get a waiver, because, I mean, this is, again, the rule. You get that one-time transfer mm-hmm. waiver. If you transfer again, you've got to get an actual, like, petition waiver. You've got to have the NCAA look at your case specifically, and you've got a sick grandma or something at home or whatever. Then Could them they... sucking be a waiver-worthy? <laughs> could that be enough? I don't know. I don't know that. The check bounced waiver. He's got, I don't know. He's got no love for coach. He's got no love for coach, evidently. But um, so that that you know, he's got the body. You know, he's got the sort of potential there. You see physically, and no real serious injuries that that we know of. So that you know is is definitely one guy that um, you know you put an asterisk next to his name when you're talking about impact players. Um, those are two guys that come to mind uh, with the edge rushers which is a different position for USC. But as I mentioned in the porthole poaching piece, it's, uh, you know, a little blurred in terms of you know, who's a rush end, who's a defensive end, and, and then who is a guy that maybe they could play a little bit inside. Because you're talking about different body types, but for USC, they the place. You know, Tuli, Tuli Pelotu, they used inside. Nick Figueroa, they used inside, outside. Um, so. We're kind of looking at guys that I think at least they have the ability athletically to play off the edge. And the name that jumps off to me, first and foremost, is Desan McCullough, who is the son of Dylan McCullough, who was the former running back coach here at USC and uh, left USC to go to the NFL and went to the Kansas City Chiefs for a couple of years and then was won given a Super Bowl, a, won a Super Bowl and then got an associated head coach title to come back to Indiana. And so he coached in Indiana for a while, which was where he was from before he actually went to USC. And just last year uh, was brought in uh, by Notre Dame to be in the Notre Dame coaching staff. Now, USC actually had conversations with him 
because at that point in time, before uh, he was talking to Notre Dame, uh, USC had their running back coach, who they hired for like a weekend, uh, leave and go to Texas. And they were looking for somebody sort of scrambling. And, uh, you know, Dylan McCullough's name came up because he's a fantastic running backs coach. And so uh, USC just didn't have the money and they didn't have the title for that. And so he ends up going to Notre Dame. But his son did not transfer to Notre Dame. He's got two sons, actually. Um, and everybody thought, OK, they're just going to transfer to Notre Dame. And they didn't. They stayed in Indiana. Now, you know, I've seen uh, son play and I've seen him up close. And he is a freaking dude. I mean, he is absolutely like physically the length and the size, um, the wingspan, uh, the speed. It's all there. Uh, he is a, a four or five star, probably, um, striking physical specimen. Uh, 49 tackles, 6.5 tackles for losses, four sacks. Oklahoma right now is a school that everybody's saying he's going to end up at. Uh, he's going to officially visit Oklahoma this weekend. Uh, we did see a tweet from Caleb Williams, come home, which always makes me giggle, which I, I don't, you know, come home. You're from Indiana. There's <laughs> no, has no real affiliation. I mean, I guess he kind of sort of has an affiliation with Southern California because his yeah, dad yeah. did coach here uh, for he went to high school here for or school he here. Was, for No, a he wasn't in high school here. Um, that was the other brother uh, that went to Kansas. Um, the the Dalen uh, the second who USC offered the Dalen the third I think um, uh, went to Sarah, but um, but nevertheless um, you know Caleb Caleb realizes you know game recognizes game <laughs> and he probably uh, knows McCullough from just you know high school camps and what have you and knows that's a guy that's a guy and so you know USC is going to probably get involved a little bit there now I have reached out and and gotten. Um, the vibe that it's probably not going to happen for USC. It would be surprising at this point. And you got to have, you know, break it down to, you know, does deal McCullough actually want to coach against his son almost directly? Cause at some point that edge rusher is going to have to go through a running back and pass protection. So, <laughs> you know, he's literally going to be watching him on film going, okay, this is how you have to take him down low uh, because you're not going to be able to, uh, to, 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 to stand toe to toe with him rushing off the edge. Um, but that's obviously, you know, I, I think for me, the biggest name um, that's been in the porthole thus far at that position. But it's an interesting position. There's a lot of good athletes uh, at that position. Uh, another guy that people have asked me about recently is Clayton Smith was offered. Say that again, Gerard. Riley Say that again, Gerard. Say that again. You, you broke Clayton. up there. Oh, I'm sorry. Oklahoma freshman edge rusher Clayton Smith. Who okay was offered a scholarship by uh, Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma staff. And, um, you know, a, another guy which a little more potential than production. So it would be nostalgia, I think, for USC to go after him. It, it would be based mainly on um, watching his high school film and knowing him from high school. He only had five tackles as a redshirt freshman, and he was beat out by a true freshman. So – Hasn't had any big injuries that we know of. Uh, it's just been an issue of focus and fit. And, you know, obviously you've got a new coaching staff there and you've got a new defense. Um, but is a guy that, you know, from the recruiting process, if you watch his film, he played receiver, he played outside linebacker, and he was just a raw athlete. You know, he's a guy that just 
went out there and, and made plays, uh, but wasn't necessarily uh, super you know, coached up fundamentally. You see him when he's disengaging blocks and he's shedding blocks and, and when tackling, you know, he's just very much a raw athlete uh, that uh, a lot of people were excited about the Oklahoma football program, but just hasn't done a whole lot. Um, there's other interesting names out there. Uh, certainly, uh, I think, um, you know, we could talk about uh, Stephen Herring, uh, who's a senior edge rusher from Stanford. Uh, another guy that's, you know, got a, a little more production behind Not him. Not the edge rusher they want you to talk about, Gerard. Not the edge <laughs> rusher they want you to talk about. Move on. Yeah, but, I mean, Heron has 37 tackles, you know, six and a half tackles for losses, five and a half sacks, um, two horse fumbles. So, you know, that that's 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 decent. You know, he's a starter for for uh, for Stanford. Um, old, there was a little bit of rotation for Stanford, and you did see uh, quite a bit of freshman edge rusher David Bailey. You know, people Bailey and asked about him because that name's been floating around a lot. With Stanford being as bad as they were, and the recruitment of Daily Bailey being as close as it was between USC and Stanford. I mean, we had a whole segment on David Bailey <laughs> earlier in the year, just talk, talking about him and talking about his recruiting process. I can't remember what podcast that was, but if you go back and um, I don't know, we were doing timestamps back then, but we literally talked about him for probably 20 minutes, half an hour. So I'm not going to rehash all of the what happened with David Bailey when he was a recruit coming out of modern day. I will say that there's been a lot of transfers out of Stanford. I think with Bailey, he's kind of sitting tight, probably waiting to see what the coaching staff looks like because, you know, he was the guy that was surprised that you could even fire head coaches at the college level. He, he thought it was like, you know, it didn't really happen. And then when Clay Helton was fired, it was, okay, well, the coaching staff is going to stay there and they're just going to bring in another head coach. So he is a bit, um, you know, not necessarily uh, aware of how things work with college football. Not a guy that you know grew up watching college football. But you know, with all that said, as as, as he is to the game, as a true freshman, forty six tackles, eight and a half tackles for losses, two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. That's not a bad year for a true freshman playing on a very bad team. You know, there's some production there. Not just a guy that oh, he's a four star out of high school and. And, you know, two years later, okay, so what did he do at the college that he's at now? Well, he did nothing. Okay, well, there should be a reason for that, right? You know, David Bailey played last year, and he made an impact for Stanford. So to reiterate, Bailey's not in the portal yet, but certainly would demand a lot of attention and interest from USC and a bunch of other schools. And I think it kind of gives you the vibe with the amount of chatter there is about certain players that maybe some of the best players are not in the portal yet. And so we'll see how, how that goes. I mean, last spring, we kind of felt like maybe the same thing. There were a lot of names floating around out there, guys that might jump into the portal that didn't. So you never really know, you know, uh, what, what, what's going on behind the scenes exactly. Um, how much conversation is there between, high school coaches and trainers and everything in these colleges. Uh, but certainly that's a name that we have to bring up. We'll see what happens with you know, Stanford and that coaching staff and, and, you know, what that looks like. But Bailey would be a guy that USC would definitely want to move on. I'm a little overwhelmed, Gerard, because we've only gotten through two positions. 
of the defense. I'm fucking overwhelmed too. There's so many guys to talk defense, about. Of the defense. But yeah. And I just want to say we did our top five portal needs last week. And because this kind of plays into the next position, I feel pretty good about having linebacker at my number five spot throughout. I felt pretty good about it. And now with three guys leaving, I feel like USC does need to hit the portal for some for some backer depth at, at minimum because you got Eric Gentry coming back. That's, you know, could be an all Pac-12 guy next year. Shane Lee technically, I believe, has a year left, so he could come back, you know, a returning team captain. You got Tack and Curtis coming in. You know, Braylon Shelby, David Peavy, guys that are added to the mix as, you know, edge rushers or potentially, you know, with Shelby, guy who can play, you know, uh, in the middle. Uh, we t- we've talked about that uh, for, for his skill set and his athleticism. So you're, you're upgrading that position a lot, but I still think you need some depth. Maybe a little bit of veteran depth. I mean, Garrett Madison, Garrison Madden, is he ready to, you know, maybe play on special teams, maybe get some run and blowouts, maybe. You know, Carson Tabarucci, you know, injured all season, sat out. Still a guy who was just learning the position at Utah. So I'm assuming, you know, having missed the whole season, it still needs to learn that position. I don't think he'll be ready maybe to be a big contributor. And then Rajon Davis, you know, still what's going to happen with him? And is he ever going to see the field? I know that's been a big worry with USC fans and a big pounding of the table for him to get in the game. So we'll have to see. But you have to feel uh, the linebacker room could use uh, maybe another guy in there just to, to help even out that depth and maybe give some more veteran experience. Yeah, again, you know, the front seven, the lines are sort of blurred position to position. So. Defensive line, I'm thinking you need, at the minimum, two players to four players. And that's including your edge rusher types, right? So those guys that might be uh, rushing, stand-up, Solomon Bird, um, you know, Corey Foreman, uh, Romello Height type guy, or the guy that is like Nick Figueroa that can put his hand on the ground and be more of a, an actual defensive lineman, but also potentially can stand up. So out of that group of guys, you know, however you use them, I think you're probably shooting for three or four different players with linebacker. Yeah. I think it's like one or two. Cause again, you know, maybe those linebackers, one of those guys can be a guy that can stand up. You know, what is David Bailey? You know, David Bailey was an edge rusher at modern day and he was really a situational pass rusher for Stanford. He didn't play a lot off the line of scrimmage. Now, he's about 6'3", I think like 240, 245. But athletically, you could potentially put him into the second level. And I think that's really where, in terms of talent, what you saw from the defense, that's where it was really lacking. You saw, uh, especially when Eric Gentry went down, just a lack of talent. Speed, size, instincts. You saw bad angles. You saw guys behind the play. You saw missed tackles. The defensive line actually played above its head. We know the defensive line doesn't have talent. I mean, you've got Stanley Tofuru playing there, a former linebacker, came into the, the program as a, like a 240-pound guy. He's about 270, 275 now at about six foot and a half, six foot one. Not a big guy. Um, Tyrone Telene. 
he's about 270, maybe 280. Uh, really, first time really playing a lot college football. He's the exception to the rule when I start talking about production begetting production. He's one of the few guys that USC's brought in that did nothing at his former college and has actually been productive and contributed at USC. Most of those other guys have not. And the guys that are playing well, the Eric Gentrys, the Travis Dyes, and the Austin Jones, um, you know, even uh, uh, Bryson Shaw, were guys that started and played at their former colleges. You know, Makai Blackman. Those are the guys that, you know, have been good for USC, and those are the guys uh, that were doing things at their colleges before they got to USC. So I think with a linebacker position, yeah, you could say one to two linebackers you need, um, mainly because, you know, maybe one of those guys is, 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 is an edge rusher, you know, for USC, and they're not actually a linebacker. So a guy like, like I said, David Bailey, who's not in the portal yet, but potentially. Um, but who have they offered? I mean, they've offered two players at this position already. Uh, Coastal Carolina sophomore linebacker, Josiah Stewart. He had 43 tackles, uh, 15 uh, and a half tackles for losses, and uh, three forced fumbles. So, again, good, productive player from a lower level. And, you know, people are going to always be a little skeptical about guys at lower levels. But you're watching their film that is usually against better teams. You know, there's usually at least a game or two that maybe Coastal Carolina plays and, you know, they're playing against a, a Power 5 school. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know the schedule and, and who Carolina uh, actually played last year, uh, but that's usually the case. So you're watching the film of how that player played against a better program and knowing that the guys around him are not, you know, high Division One level guys either. Um, Georgia State junior linebacker, uh, Jamil Muhammad, 44 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, 1.5 sacks. So, again, had some um, some production. I think he was like a preseason All-American type guy uh, for Georgia State. Um, so, you know, another guy that uh, – these are big bodies too. These are like 240-pound plus almost 250-pound linebackers. So these are big guys that have some size behind them. So we're not seeing any, you know, Eric Gentry, 210-pound linebackers that you go, okay, well, we know he's got speed, but this guy's not very big. These are some pretty big bodies. And um, and there's other guys that are, you know, been even more productive that are uh, in the portal. You know, Oklahoma State junior linebacker Mason Cobb is in the portal. 96 tackles, 13 for losses, two sacks, one interception. You know, he's going to be one of the most coveted players out of the portal. We haven't heard much about USC recruiting him. Um, but that's a guy that, you know, a lot of people are really excited about and going in after hard. Um, FIU sophomore linebacker, uh, Gaithan Bernadale, Bernadale, I guess Bernadale. Would be I'll, how trust, you I'll trust you. I'll trust yeah. you, baby. Uh, yeah. Gaithan Bernadale, 103 tackles, eight tackles for losses, one and a half sacks. Uh, UCF senior linebacker, Jeremiah Jean-Petit, uh, 52 tackles. Five tackles for losses, one sack. Um, you know, one guy that uh, we know has uh, also has a scholarship offer, although you know, like you said, deleted it. A uh, Washington State junior linebacker, Travion Brown, fifty-nine tackles, five tackles for losses, one and a half sacks. So there's there's some production here, you know. And then you get lower list, and we talk about Oregon junior linebacker Justin Flo. Now, this is a guy that the peristyle hasn't stopped talking about since what have you done? Year of what have you done? <laughs> it's a Pandora's box of sorts, but Flo has had a lot of injury issues. 35 tackles, 2.5 tackles for losses this past season. This has been the most productive season for him, the most he's played. 
I mean, you know, Oregon thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the most epic defense we've ever had. We're going to have Noah Sewell and we're going to have Justin Flo playing inside together. And it just never really happened. Uh, from what I've reached out and I've talked to, you know, USC has been in contact with Flo. There's not an offer there. And there's actually some talk. Maybe he goes to UCLA. UCLA at this point has been a little more aggressive in going after him. And UCLA has been very aggressive with the guys that they they want. They've gone after pretty hard. So, you know, they're not wasting a lot of time. They want to get guys on campus. They want to get them done. Um, this is really where Chip Kelly wants to recruit. This is where they're motivated to go after guys. It seems like with the high school ranks, they're always just very slow in offering. Uh, they just don't do a great job of identifying the guys they want and they push for hard. They want transfers. You know, that's that's going to be Chip Kelly's strategy. And you can see where they already know the guys that they want and they're going to go after them quick. So, you know, Flo is one of those guys. You know, is there anything left in the tank for him? You know, can he can he be a guy that's a dynamic player? You know, does he even fit what USC wants to do? In high school, he was a north-south type guy. He was a guy that needed to be attacking line of scrimmage. Um, I think he would have been very good for Todd Orlando's defense where you're constantly blitzing your inside linebackers. But again, I think the injuries are a red flag. And you don't know, you know, if he's a concussion away from a medical retirement, and then you've got two more years there where he's going to be on your scholarship roster, even though he's not playing. So that's the big issue with all these players, um, especially the front seven players, you know, making sure you vet as much as you can medical histories. and. Uh, not getting not getting dinged with uh, dead weight on your roster. But with linebacker, yeah, one or two guys, again, sort of bleeding that edge rusher sort of linebacker in with um, just the regular linebackers that you're going to be playing off the line of scrimmage. And we don't know what's going to happen with Shane Lee. That is a question. You know, does he try to go to the NFL draft? He's been semi-productive. I think the biggest – Issue with Shane Lee is the fact that he's not playing Mike linebacker, and that's the position that physically, profile-wise, you would think he would be playing. So the fact that they move Eric Gentry to that position tells me that they felt Lee was somewhat of a liability in the middle of the field. And so, you know, they're, they're trying to find somebody that can certainly come in and play that Mike linebacker position. We know out of the high school ranks that Taka Curtis is the guy that they've got earmarked. The question becomes. Can he get in in January, play spring ball, absorb enough of the defense that they can rely on him being that quarterback in the middle of the field for them? Because it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a task of a true freshman. Uh, but he's the guy that they would love to put there and I think move Eric Gentry to the wheel side. And that would be a more natural fit for him. And you would be able then to play him against some of these tight ends that have murdered USC this past season. Uh, where you could actually have a big body who still needs to put on weight. You know, he still needs to do certain things to be a guy that, you know, you're going against a Michael Mayer who's, you know, 265, 270 pound uh, tight end, you know, and you weigh 210, you know, that guy's still going to body you up. You know, there's still some things, but Eric Gentry has this incredible ability, <laughs> despite being, you know, 210 pounds soaking wet, to be very physical at his size. And so, um, you know, when he's healthy, and I think he was only about 60% probably healthy uh, this past few games. Um, he's a guy that you could definitely put out in coverage and probably get even more 
uh, out of him uh, than just putting him at my linebacker. So uh, that's, I think, the, the, the plan for linebacker. Try to get some guys in there that can actually compete with Tackett Curtis coming in. And uh, we'll see if they're able to land that guy. But they definitely need – this is a position where they not even need to replace some of those guys that they've lost, you know, like Oforworth and, uh, and Taylor Katoa, but they need to upgrade. They can't just get bodies and say, okay, we got another guy that's basically the same player of Goforth. Oh, you need to get better. You need to get guys that actually are in the right position down at the goal line and don't get killed on play action every time. Again, still not finished with defense. We've got one more position to go. And it's an interesting one, defensive back, obviously, for a team that has recruited defensive back well. They have some good tape to show potential defensive back uh, recruits out of the portal. You know, Makai Blackman has played as well, played himself into a, a draft pick and an all Pac 12, uh, first team all Pac 12er. So a lot of good tape to show there and a definitely, but definitely still a position that could use some talent. Now, there is talent there, but a, a, a position you still want to add some talented reinforcements for. It's a position that I'm surprised we haven't seen a couple of transfers out at, to be honest with you. I mean, Xavier Alford there, mm-hmm. but I thought there might be a couple other guys that are already jumping in to the portal there. So we'll see how that develops. But I think, like you said, Makai Blackman, there's the blueprint, you know, came in, was a decent player at Colorado. He was a starter. Uh, for a very, 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 very bad defense. And he came to USC, and he surprised me. He, he outplayed himself, in my opinion. He played way above what my expectations were of him. I actually thought he might get beat out by maybe Jacoby Covington. So Makai Blackman played fantastic this year. And that is the blueprint that Dante Williams has to put out there and say, listen, we can get a guy that's a talented guy. He's going to come in. He's going to play himself in the NFL draft. And so they've offered two cornerbacks thus far that we know publicly. Kyrie Jackson, who you talked about at the top, not super productive for Alabama this past year. He only had 14 tackles, uh, one tackle for loss, and two pass breakups. That was really in the last two seasons because he did not play very much this past season. Um, he did start uh, his first year there, like you said, in the championship game, and he was a guy that got some snaps. 6'3 frame, former Juco All-American. So similar background as Makai Blackman, um, but a guy that just hasn't seemed to be able to put it together at Alabama. And and I've said this several times in the peristyle, and I've said it probably with the podcast as well. you got to be careful with going after a bunch of guys from Alabama because Alabama does a fantastic job of self-evaluating their roster. They know who they're losing. Okay, and they don't lose many guys they don't want to lose. So, yeah, you got to be a little careful and kind of feel that one out a bit. Um, But uh, certainly physically a guy that's impressive. Um, Another offer that went out, which is interesting and an offer that I had to double check on because, again, zero production there. But not only zero production, but with this player, there's not a whole lot to his high school background either. And that's freshman cornerback. Uh, Mumu bin Wahad, five tackles this past Mumu, Mumu, uh, was a three star in high school out of Georgia, and so not necessarily like a big time all American former IMG guy, yada yada yada, beep beep bop, where you go, oh my gosh, you know, he was so great in high school, 
and you're reminiscing on his high school film and not what he's done in college. This is a guy that hasn't done anything in college and not a lot of uh, big time tape or, you know, rankings or, or hype coming out of high school. So I did double check on this. And apparently USC did offer him a scholarship uh, along with a few other schools, uh, Auburn, there's a couple other schools that are going after him. So I have to look into that more. Like, you know, there's gotta be something there, some reason um, that, uh, you know, people, people, people like him. I mean, you know, five tackles, we do have to consider and understand that the cornerback position, you're not necessarily going to have a ton of tackles. And if you're good, you know, you might not necessarily have a ton of uh, interceptions either because teams are not going to test you a whole lot. So, you know, again, it's a, it's a matter of kind of just trying to pull up some film of him at West Virginia and seeing what he did. He's not particularly big. He's certainly not 6'3", uh, like um, Kyrie Jackson. So that's an interesting offer, certainly. Uh, we're going to just have to kind of look a little more into that. Uh, North Carolina junior cornerback Tony Grimes, who's a former five-star, he's leaving North Carolina. Uh, 36 tackles, seven pass breakups, no interceptions. So is that no interceptions because he got beat and, you know, guys were catching balls on him and he just wasn't there to have any pass breakups? He's got seven of them. Uh, or is it just nobody really wanted to test him? You know, I don't know. I don't watch enough North Carolina football to know at this point. These are guys that we kind of have to watch a little more film on and try to see, you know, if they've got some highlight films or something um, up on YouTube or something. You know, it's not like high school where <laughs> these guys are putting together – Oh, their highlight films. A guy like this, you're basically going to have to try to dig up some some uh, game film and just watch his starts. Uh, the number one rated cornerback in the portal right now is Virginia Junior uh, Fentrell Cypress, the second. 39 tackles, 14 pass breakups, second team OACC. He's visiting UCLA supposedly this weekend. That's a guy that USC would definitely want to get on campus. Um, that's a starter. That's a guy that's uh, definitely one of the better players uh, in the ACC and certainly would be a good plug-and-play option for USC. But again, UCLA, you know, we've seen how lethargic they are and uh, disinterested, it seems, in recruiting high school players uh, with so few offers out there, not so with the porthole. You know, the, Chip Kelly doesn't want to deal with projecting high school players. He clearly wants to just look at a guy, see him at a college, and go, okay, I, I can project that more. You know, this is what he's done against these other teams. Here's his film against Clemson. Okay, I know if I want him or not. So that's really been the strategy and the approach for UCLA uh, as we've seen more and more of these transfers and the portal being ability to kind of turn over your roster so quickly. Uh, there's some other guys out there that are, that are somewhat intriguing. UCF junior cornerback Devontae Brown, 30 tackles, two interceptions, four pass breakups. He's the older brother of Damari Brown, who USC has offered a scholarship to out of American Heritage. Uh, we saw him, Chris, at the uh, Pylon tournament uh, uh, early in March. And he was a guy that, you know, took an unofficial visit to USC or uh, unofficial visit to USC and was excited about maybe returning for an official visit. We know that that's uh, not happened <laughs> and, and probably isn't going to happen, but you never know. I mean, you know, uh, maybe if uh, USC gets involved with Devontae Brown is older brother that there's uh you know more interest there from the younger brother uh six foot two another big guy 185 pounds that's another big corner so you know, kind of looking at those big corners as interesting guys um another guy that's uh, at the top of the list that usc kind of recruited a little bit out of high school 
is Cincinnati freshman safety, uh, J.K. Hardaway. So not a lot of safeties on this list. More, more juniors are, are the guys that are the kind of intriguing prospects. Um, USC's had a lot of success getting safeties um, out of the portal, but that's a position that we talked about. They have some good players. So, you know, maybe there's some guys that are going to transfer still, but that's a pretty young group. You know, you got Jalen Smith, who didn't play much at the end of the year because he was hurt. He started a bunch of games. Um, you got Kalen Bullock, who you're going to have to replace after next year. Uh, but uh, Bryson Shaw's is, it's got sophomore eligibility. Uh, Max Williams, I think, has actually got sophomore eligibility, even though he's a true junior. Um, you've just got a bunch of guys that are in that sort of retro freshman, sophomore sort of eligibility. Uh, Zamirian Gordon, players like that that have snaps that I think USC is pretty comfortable with. So unless they lose some guys that they they like and they don't want to lose, I don't know that they're going to jump in uh, with uh, with a bunch of safety offers in the portal. Jordan, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you almost went an hour just on the defense. Well, let's get on to the next hour then and talk about the offense. Oh, God. That should not statistically be possible because there's only, for, for starters, only three position groups, and there's not many or any really public offers. So you shouldn't be able to do that, Gerard. You shouldn't be able to do that. Okay, sounds like a challenge. Let's talk about the wide receiver position. Why don't you just combine the wide receivers and the running backs? (laughs) The wide receiver position is obviously not a position USC needs to bring a bunch of guys into, but with the success of Jordan Addison and, you know, the offense itself, there's obviously a lot of sell there, you know, and I think if the right guy comes along, I think USC gets involved. And there's been a bunch of names that have been floated out there. And, you know, one of the biggest names, and we talked about this in the podcast last week, maybe the week before, was Xavier Worthy, the sophomore wide receiver out of Texas, the, you know, Fresno native that there was a lot of talk. He was leaving Texas. And he was going to USC. And there was some smoke there. It wasn't just completely made up. Now, he has supposedly told people he's got a new NIL deal. Imagine that. And he's going to stay at Texas. So he's not in the portal. 53 receptions, 676 yards, nine touchdowns. So a guy that a lot of people, I think there's a balance with Xavier Worthy. There's some production there. And then there's still a lot of potential there. And that would be a good replacement for really a Gary Bryant more than Jordan Addison because Xavier Worthy isn't a Jordan Addison type you know Jordan Addison is a bit more of a Robert Woods type uh Worthy is is sort of the speedster kind of a vertical threat um can do some things with the ball in his hands uh maybe behind the line of scrimmage on some of those sweet plays that USD has used but I don't necessarily think he's a, a Jordan Addison type of guy um we have talked about Theo Weiss Weiss, I, I still don't know how to pronounce that name properly. I should probably look it up. Um, 19 receptions, 378 yards, four touchdowns, former four-star guy that Lincoln Riley and company uh, have recruited in the past coming out of high school. Not a lot of production there. And, and I don't know, watching his film, that's a guy that does a lot you know, for USC. I, I don't know if that's the level guy that they, that they should go after. Um, just my personal opinion. I look at a guy like Kyron Hudson and I see a similar type of player. And Kyron Hudson catches the tough balls. And that's really what USC has not had a lot of. Uh, they need guys that can catch those, you know, those 10-yard out routes, 
those 15-yard out, uh, out routes at the sidelines that are contested-type passes, really the Kerry Colbert-type receptions. Uh, if people remember Kerry Colbert when he was at USC, he was a guy that, man, you you just couldn't guard outside the numbers, you know, on those curl routes, those out routes, whatever, those hard passes that are like in the ground or, or right near the sideline. I think Kyron Hudson does a really good job with those passes, and those are very difficult to defend. They need guys that can do that. And so, um, you know, I don't know if, uh, if, if Theo Weiss is that guy. Uh, they have Oregon sophomore, Dante Thornton. We talked about him a little bit in the past. He's, uh, you know, 6'5-ish, about 190 pounds, a little more of a vertical-type guy, um, former guy out of uh, Virginia that USC recruited pretty hard. He was that great uh, receiver class that Oregon got that nobody figured out, like, how, how and why they got. You know, Troy Franklin, uh, Dante Thornton, you know, they weren't throwing the ball very good. They don't have any tradition of putting NFL uh, wide receivers out there, but yet they got all these great wide receivers. Well, Thornton is leaving 17 receptions. 366 yards and one touchdown. So not a ton of uh, production. I think he started like a game or two for them, but wasn't a full-time starter either. He was more of a rotational guy. So again, this is more about potential than production, which with a big body like that, because you don't have a guy like that at USC, I think there's a little more intrigue there. You know, you're looking for some size. They have a lot of those guys that are, you know, sort of in that six-foot range. But not a lot of guys who are six four, six five. So I think that would be interesting uh, to see if he went to USC. You know how they would be able to use him. But there's other guys out there that have a lot more production. If you're looking for you know somebody that has just been super productive, the Missouri junior uh, wide receiver Dominic Levette, 56 receptions, 846 yards, three touchdowns. Um, you know a, a guy that's not in the portal that would be interesting. Uh, that. Uh, you know, I could see potentially jumping in the portal would be Cincinnati junior wide receiver Tyler Scott, 54 receptions, 899 yards and nine touchdowns. Another kind of track guy, but a little more like Taj Washington in that respect. And so that would be a, a very interesting player. That's a non-portal guy. Another non-portal guy is Western Kentucky sophomore Makai Corley, who had 90 receptions, uh, 1,018 yards and nine touchdowns. So Super productive sophomore uh, out of Western Kentucky hasn't entered the portal, but you wonder, you know, maybe he gets some some behind the scenes uh, chatter, you know, some NIL deals. Uh, Western Kentucky can't match that kind of stuff. These are the type of guys at mid majors that you really wonder. Overproductive guys that uh, that have shown good on film, and I watched his film, and he's a, he's a dude. He's got a little more twitch. He's not just like a possession receiver. He's a guy that I could see. You know, with the type of offense that USC runs, he's like 6'2", 215, I think. But he plays uh, much more like a, maybe a Taj Washington. He, he's pretty good behind the line of scrimmage, getting those bubble screens or what have you. Um, good with the ball in his, in his hand after the catch, which is something that you, you know, always want to see from receivers. Uh, so an interesting prospect, not in the portal yet. But, you know, we'll see what happens here. Um, one guy that... When we talk about blurred positions and we we're not really sure like where to put him, South Carolina junior tight end, Jaheim Bell. This is one of the top guys overall in the portal right now. Uh, he's a, a big tight end type H back slash receiver. I think he's like 6'3, 240, 
running about right now, but 56 receptions, 756 yards, seven touchdowns. Um, he will get if he doesn't already have a scholarship offer from USC, the real USC, not South Carolina. Um, this is a big blow for South Carolina, actually. He's played running back. He actually, I think, has 22 rushes for, for some yardage there and a, and a few touchdowns. Uh, I think his natural position is sort of that hybrid receiver H-back position. And USC uses the H-back. Now, USC has not utilized the tight end or H-back much in the passing game. That's the biggest issue. That's sort of the elephant in the room with Deuce Robinson, the big five-star tight end out of Pinnacle High School in Phoenix. I don't know what the angle would be in trying to recruit Jaheim Bell out of South Carolina. Um, you don't have a lot there, blueprint-wise. You're, again, trying to recruit based on something you don't have. Oh, look, you know, we would do so much with you here if you were in uh, this offense. Now, I think this is another guy that Caleb Williams tweeted at, if I recall. Um, he, he's a big-time player, and he would be an interesting matchup uh, for defenses in Lincoln Riley's offense. Now, the question is, where would he exactly play? Would he be a running back or would he be a receiver? My hunch is he would be more of a receiver and they would sell him on being like a slot guy. And listen, you know what? We've got some guys that can replace Jordan Addison on the roster right now. We're going to use you differently and you're going to be a new wrinkle in our offense, which has to obviously change and evolve over the years. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we get into the recruiting angle, talking about playing Utah a second time. But that's the receiver position. I think USC goes big or they go home. They've got some guys. And and we can't forget that they've got three guys coming out of high school that are big-time players in the two five-stars, Makai Lemon and Zachariah Branch. So you talk about replacing Jordan Addison's numbers. There's two guys that can do it. And you also have the big body, uh, or at least the, the tall, lanky, rangy receiver in Jacoby Lane who's a good 6'4", you know, 185. So, yeah, I think with the receiver position, you know, it has to be somebody that really wows you. Um, Jaheim Bell is very intriguing. I just don't know that with what USC has been able to do production-wise at the tight end, H-back uh, uh, position in the passing game, that you're going to be able to lure a guy in there. One thing I do want to say about Bell that is interesting and how it correlates with high school recruiting is the fact that Georgia and I'm sure Texas and some of these other schools are going to be going after him. And I know Alabama likes him a lot as well, and they're going to go after him. But if he was to go to Georgia, how would that impact Deuce Robinson? Because at this point in time, I believe Deuce Robinson's down to Georgia and USC. And then Texas is like sort of third, and there's some other schools. Maybe Alabama's in there. They're trying to get him on an official visit. But I think it's still Georgia. And USC, and I think USC is still in a very, very good position for him. But I think Georgia has made it a lot more interesting just because of how much they've gone out of out of Brock Bowers and Darrell Washington, and just the tight end position in general. They've utilized quite a bit, and so this is an interesting prospect out of the portal that could impact the high school position because they've already got um, Pierce Spruing there, who's one of the top high school tight ends. They've got two, I believe, tight ends committed in the 2023 class. So if Georgia's getting Jaheim Bell as well, I think that definitely pushes Deuce Robinson to USC. So it may help, you know, USC, if they can get involved here and, um, 
you know, you know, listen, you know, you want one of these guys for sure, right? So, you know, potentially get involved with Bell and kind of see where that goes. And, um, you know, if you're not able to get Deuce Robinson, maybe you get Bell. I, I think that's – they're probably a, a little more of a long shot in that uh, respect. But um, I think it's good to have your ear in the ground to kind of see what's going on. And uh, if he goes to Georgia, like I said, I think that could definitely help USC with Deuce Robinson. And as we move to running backs, I just want to say Dylan Johnson, a three-star running back out of Mississippi State, or was a three-star running back signed in Mississippi State, uh, just posted a transfer portal note on his uh, social media, and it said the following. I didn't know where to pick up. Sorry. Together, you guys have helped me build at my character and skills tremendously. And with that being said, since I'm not very tough and Leach is glad I'm leaving, I will be entering my name in the transfer portal. That's a wild uh, transfer note, Gerard. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's real and true, I think. <laughs> I think that's uh, probably a discussion that they had. And, you know, Mike Leach, he doesn't mince words very much. Probably exactly the conversation that they had. Probably verbatim what he said. So I think that can lead us into running backs, Gerard, which, as we mentioned before, USC got two really good running backs coming in. Could Austin Jones come back again for another season? Sure can. Will Darwin Barlow be on the roster? I I think that's a possibility. You still got Relique Brown. But if there's a high-end, kind of similar with the wide receivers, you got a high-end guy Travion Henderson, guy, Braylon Allen, kind of guy who pops up in the transfer portal. You know, you've shown that you can be a dynamic offense and put up some numbers with a true number one running back, especially, you know, playing in the backfield with a potential Heisman winner, Caleb Williams, who wouldn't want to come uh, run the ball uh, in USC. It's interesting because, you know, watching USC this season and how they used the running back position. You're not selling 25 carries a game if you're USC. You're actually at the running back position selling production with limited miles. We're going to bring you in. You're going to have other guys there in the backfield with you. You're going to be our number one guy, but we are going to save you towards the end of the year. You're not going to be the guy that we're really going to lean on too much because running backs are very cognizant of how many carries they have before the NFL. I mean, this has been something that has come up in the draft and it's a conversation in a lot of war rooms, you know, how, how much mileage does he have left on him? You know, how banged up is he? And the sad thing with Travis Dye was the fact that USC in the beginning of the season, they split a lot of those carries to kind of try to take a little bit of the weight off of him. It wasn't like it was in Oregon uh, initially where, you know, they were using him a lot and then sort of backed off of that even at Oregon with CJ Verdell as well, kind of giving him some carries. But I think with USC, they're very cognizant of making sure they got, um, you know, carries that were split. And it was Austin Jones that was, you know, getting quite a bit of carries in the beginning of the season as well. And then you saw at some point when, you know, it got serious and you got, you know, kind of towards the Utah game and, and so on and so forth, you started to see Travis Dye become the guy more and more and more. Now, you also saw the offense sort of get a little more one-dimensional and not run the ball quite as much as they probably should have in some of those games against, let's say, you know, Cal, um, uh, you know, Arizona was a game that they needed to run the ball a lot more than they did. Um, So it was kind of interesting to see that dynamic. And I think 
with USC, you're, you're bringing in a guy and saying, listen, we're not going to overburden you with a whole bunch of carries, but you're still going to have seven yards of carry. You're still going to have seven and a half yards of carry, which is what we saw for most of the season with the Trojan running backs. So we'll see what happens with Austin Jones. As you said, he could technically come back. He is a senior. Um, and I think he would like to come back if he doesn't have the grade that he wants in the NFL draft. And with running backs, they definitely get backlogged a bit in the draft. I don't know if he's a guy that has shown enough this year to be the guy. He had a great game against Notre Dame. And if he would have had a game that was in that realm against Utah the second time, I think for sure he's gone. Now we have to kind of wait for the bowl game and see what kind of game he has against Tulane. I think it's really kind of 50-50 right now, whether he comes back or not. I, I would have said he's gone for sure. You know, if he would have had that game against Utah that he had against Notre Dame, but now not necessarily so sure. But nevertheless, I want to bring in another guy out of the portal if he's that type of player. If he come in right away, the the pass game being uh, as a running back. And and the guy that jumps off first and foremost is Ball State sophomore Carson Steele, who kind of sort of run, went run a little bit like uh, Travis Dye. You know, he's got a little bit of that sort of um, devil-may-care uh, recklessness about him and uh, run, you know, 289 times at Ball State this season for 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns. So uh, a very a productive running back, a pretty good out of the backfield as a receiver as well. Um, but uh, an interesting name that's uh, coming from a little bit level uh, a, a little, uh, you know, that sort of mid-major level that we talk about where, you know, these guys feel like they could do it on a bigger stage. So we'll see what happens with him. Oklahoma State junior running back Dominic Richardson just uh, jumped in the porthole last night. Starter for Oklahoma State. Don't know what happened with Oklahoma State this year, man. Went from almost beating TCU and looking like a normal nine-win, ten-win Oklahoma State to being absolutely dog water and having – a bunch of their guys leave, like a bunch of their impact players are leaving that roster. So some stuff going on there in Stillwater, but uh, Dominic Robinson had, or excuse me, Richardson had 149 carries for 543 yards and eight touchdowns and uh, started for most of the season. When you watch his film, he's a very good running back. He's actually low key. One of those guys that is, is a very frustrating running back to play against because you'll have him down for negative, you know, like a, like a minus one yard, right? You'll, you'll get him for a tackle for loss. And he somehow squeaks out of that for three yards. He's one of those guys that you watch so much of his film dead to rights at the line of scrimmage and still gets four or five yards on a carry. So uh, intriguing uh, running back there, a guy that's, uh, you know, not a big name, but still, if you watch his film, a uh, pretty good looking player. Obviously at this position, this is where it's the guys that are not in the portal yet that everybody's talking about that are the most intriguing. You talked about Braylon Allen. So Braylon Allen this year, he has 208 carries for 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. So, you know, quite quite a few carries uh, and, and was hurt, you know, for a good part of the year too. So, you know, uh, missed some games and still had 208 carries, you know, uh, compared to a guy like, uh, you know, Dominic Richardson, where you've got 149 carries. So mileage is something that we're very cognizant of when we talk about these players. Uh, another guy that's, you know, got lots of miles still left on him is Kyle Freshman, Jay Knott. Not in the portal, 
but 170 carries this year for 897 yards. So he just came short of being a thousand yard rusher for Cal and he had eight touchdowns. So I was a guy that USC staff or at least Dante Williams staff recruited, offered a scholarship out of Norco high school. They really liked him. He really loved USC. He would have committed to USC if USC had some type of semblance of they're going to, you know, have a, a, a solid staff, a good staff. And he was actually going to play for a decent team. But at that point in time, they didn't know what was going to go on with USC, who they were going to hire. Mike Jenks literally called him and said, hey, we're going to offer you a scholarship, but I don't know what's going to happen with me. And I don't know what's going to happen with the team. So, you know, it's up to you if you want to come here or not. And that was basically the, <laughs> the recruiting pitch he got from USC at that point in time uh, with the uh, interim staff. Uh, along came uh, Lincoln Riley, and, and we talked about, you know, the, the running back position, you know, the the, the sort of they, they have a guy, they don't have a guy. Kyle McDonald comes along a little later. Um, they did not recruit him, and, and I think they were focused, you know, purely on Relief Brown, and because you didn't have Kyle McDonald come in right away, they really didn't have a shot at Jay Not at that point. So, you know, that would be a guy that I think USC would have a very good shot at if he came out of the portal. He looked really good for Cal this past season. Um, he is a good uh, receiver. He's a you know decent frame. He's about six foot, two hundred pounds. Um, so a guy that you know I, I think could definitely fill the spot of uh, the two seniors that they have right now that could potentially be gone. And you talked at the the top of Ohio State sophomore Travion Henderson, who would be you know another guy with with a, a lot of potential. He has had some injuries here, um, and that's kind of put him back a little bit in terms of uh, the production that he's had. But he had 107 carries. This past season for 571 yards and six touchdowns. So um, decent numbers there. Not necessarily the guy that you saw as a freshman. And certainly not the guy that we saw coming out of high school. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, he actually goes to the portal and, um, you know, what kind of attention he gets uh, if he's there. So uh, I think, again, these are the guys that are not in the portal that are probably the most intriguing right now um, in terms of, uh, you know, what USC really wants because it's a higher standard. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty high bar set, you know, but the offense, you've got some good players that have been productive on the depth chart and guys that they brought in, you know, that are former transfers that are still there uh, that, uh, you know, you want to see play a little more guys like Mario Williams and Taj Washington, who have both played pretty well this year. Taj Washington, I'm really, you know, happy to see, how he's blossomed here at the end of the year, because that's a guy that we saw coming out of Memphis, freshman All-American. He looked like the dude, and he looked really good and just kind of wasn't consistent enough for USC with the past staff, and he's been better and developed more uh, this past season and looks like a guy. So, you know, Kyle Ford's there. Like I said, I'm a fan of Kyron Hudson. I think he's a guy that's a really all-around good player for USC, good run blocker as well. Um, they've got some guys there, and we've got – uh, some good players coming in uh, with uh, the running back and wide receiver position in the 2023 class. So again, bar set a little higher for offense than it is defense. Gerard, I'm a little worried about how long this one will go. I am a little bit worried about how long this one will go. That's all the I got to say. In general or the next uh, position we're going to talk about, which is going to be the last position that we touch on when it comes to the transfer portal? Yeah, the answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes. That's all I can say. And, like, how are you not passed out right now? 
No, because I'm excited to talk about the offensive line because that is one oh. position where <laughs> what a we segue. Look, we look at yeah, I got I got to just get it going right. Gotta, we got to move ahead. No shtick, uh, no comedy hour. We got to get to talking about the players here, and this is what the people want to know. How is USC getting better on the offensive line? They got bullied, Chris. They got bullied against Utah. This was really the first game that we've seen this past season where USC just got manhandled on the offensive line. The Notre Dame game kind of started out like, oh, hey, first time USC seeing some big boys, some guys that played in the college football playoff, and they were back on their heels a little bit. But they adjusted, and they played really well in that game. That didn't happen against Utah. Uh, I saw way too many offensive linemen laying on the ground against Utah, and it just showed you USC's got to get better, right? They, they've whiffed on some offensive line, uh, ta- specifically offensive tackles in the past three cycles out of high school. It's it just been bad. And they get Bobby Haskins last year, graduate, uh, I think he was a grad transfer from uh, Virginia, a, a, a good player, solid player but not a franchise left tackle, okay? And that's that's where USC, they got to find some better players at this position. they got to get some guys that can go out there and make an impact immediately. So this is this position where, yeah, you mean there might be a body or two you could bring in that are like guys, you go, okay, you know, we feel like this guy can contribute for us, but maybe he's not going to push the starters. Maybe there's a guy like that you could you can get. But I think, again, the bar's got to be raised. You're looking for two to four players, uh, probably two interior guys, two offensive tackles. And there's there's some intriguing names out there, but again, not necessarily that like surefire franchise, you know, first round pick type guy. Um, Alabama's whole offensive line, it seems like, is in the, <laughs> in the portal. Uh, it's not. Trust me, guys, the, the players they love are not in the portal. The one guy that did make it that, uh, clearly, uh, probably is getting the most attention from Tide fans, and this is how you know a player is maybe worthwhile uh, going after. Is Alabama junior offensive guard Javion Cohen? So Javion Cohen started ten games at left tackle for Alabama this past season. He was a freshman All SEC player, so uh, he made the All Freshman team for the SEC in 2020. This is a guy that's got some snaps, doesn't have a ton of uh, issues with you know knee injuries or anything of that nature as well. So pretty healthy. The one thing is he missed some games with uh, reportedly some mental health issues. So that's a question. You know, you do have to make sure that he's not looking to transfer and then quit football. Because guess what? The next two years, again, they're going to be on the scholarship total for you, and you're not going to be able to replace that guy for two years. Um, so – Jamie Cohen, definitely interesting. Uh, haven't really heard USC's name come up with him yet. Uh, their other guard, Alabama junior offensive guard, Damian George, also transferring. Played in just two games this season, uh, but played 12 games in 2021 and started three games at right tackle. So interesting there. Another guy that, you know, fell back on the depth chart. You've got to evaluate that. But interesting nonetheless, Alabama junior offensive tackle, Amari Kite, another guy that is uh, in the portal for Alabama, played 12 games this past season and played some behind uh, left tackle um, Tyler Steen, who was, um, I believe, a grad transfer from Purdue or maybe Vanderbilt. One of those golden black teams 
uh, Tyler Steen came in. We were looking at USC trying to maybe get involved with him. I think they offered him out of the porthole last year, uh, but he went to Alabama and it was kind of a done deal for Alabama pretty quickly. Um, of course, you know, again, left tackle franchise, very difficult uh, position to recruit both high school and the transfer portal. There's just not a lot of quality left tackles that are there. And so uh, they brought him in and he played over uh, Amari Kite. And as a guy, though, uh, you know, is, 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 is a, a healthy, potentially good player that you could bring in. I don't know that, you know, he's a guy that's going to, you know, play a lot for USC. And uh, I'm very wary of these Alabama players because, like I said, Alabama is just an incredibly good job of self-evaluating the roster. And I haven't heard too many people super broken up <laughs> about uh, Amari Kite leaving. So uh, the one guy that they've talked about is Cohen. So we'll see, you know, playing uh, offensive guard if, if that's a guy that USC gets involved with. But um, there's, a, there's, there's a bunch of bodies out there, man. Uh, I think with offense, though, because – you can kind of see production and you can kind of see on film a little more when they're getting the ball and what have you. It's easier to see the guys from just the, 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 the players that are just there because they haven't played and they're not very good. Um, with defense, there's just a bunch of dudes out there. And there's a bunch of dudes out there that aren't really going to contribute and do anything for your football program. And so you, you know, can be probably um, you have to be, I guess, more careful on the defensive side of the ball than even the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, Cal Jr., offensive guard. Ben Coleman is there. He's got 22 starts for Cal. Uh, Auburn, senior, offensive guard. Keandre Jones started at right guard for the Tigers the whole past year. Um, Stanford's got a plethora of offensive linemen in the portal. Uh, they're starting um, center, Drake Nugent, who is, I think, going to be a grad transfer. He was on some Remington and Outlet Award uh, watch list this preseason. So, you know, USC is losing their offensive center, their starter in um, in Brett Nealon, and um, and get well, you know, get better. Brett Nealon, you know, he went down in that uh, that uh, Utah game, and his season is over. But we do wish him uh, a speedy recovery. Um, we assume that Justin Dijic moves to the center position uh, for uh, uh, Brett Nealon next 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 season. I I I think. Having watched the Utah game, that that's almost um, 100% now. Um, but uh, nevertheless, you know, you've got a guy out there that, you know, is, is started as a senior um, that played for Stanford. Stanford senior offensive guard uh, Jake Hornbrook is also in the, the, the portal. Uh, and he's a grad transfer, started all 11 games for Stanford last year. Maybe the most intriguing potential-wise uh, player uh, out there for Stanford that's actually in the portal, um, unlike David Bailey is Stanford junior offensive tackle Miles Seaton, who was a big-time player coming out of high school. He started seven games at right tackle for Stanford. Um, definitely uh, had some bad games. You know, there's there's some some kind of bad film of, of him out there, but he's very raw, played at a really small school, uh, I believe in Georgia. And so, you know, it was a guy that kind of – he took some time to develop a little bit at Stanford, but he's out there. So, you know, you've got some guys that, you know, certainly um, some bodies – some some decent players, Rhode Island sophomore offensive tackle, Ajani Cornelius, um, all CAA first team. So guys at the smaller levels uh, that um, you know could, could could come up and, and maybe contribute for you. And so I think with this position, again, you want to get better. I just I don't know how much better you're going to get with this particular group. I don't know if there's that wow guy that is in the portal yet 
that USC could pick up. Um, you could probably get some good interior guys. I think, you know, a guy like Cohen, if, if he turns out that, you know, he's solid, he's ready to play, he's motivated, you know, that could be obviously a, a big get on the interior for a team like USC. I, I think Hornybrook it could be a, a, a nice little upgrade potentially, um, you know, replacing Andrew Voorhees for USC. USC is going to continue to get bigger and probably a little better, and they've got a, a decent class. They've got a, an above-average class, I think, out of the 2023 um, recruiting uh, high school class. It's just a matter of, you know, the, the guys that are not playing very much and the second-team guys, they've got to get better. they got to kind of raise the bar a little bit with the guys are going after and uh, don't just grab some bodies because, you know, they're six five, three hundred 300 pounds. Gerard, I just want to thank you for breaking down all those names. And I'm sure that was only a 10th of the names that you could have broken down. Uh, but nonetheless, we absolutely have to take a break right now. Okay, let's do it. We'll come back. We'll hit some in-home visits, a note on decommitment season, your recruiting angle for the Blowout loss that was USC versus Utah, little Deion Sanders, and maybe some questions. I haven't decided yet because this this podcast is uh, going off the rails a little bit. So we'll it's decide right that. We'll it's not back. off the rails. We're on the rails. It's just we might be in a different county now. Than we, we might. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's that's good. We're, we're headed towards unknown county territory. So we'll get into all that after this quick break. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we are back. And actually, Gerard, we're coming back to a little bit of some breaking news. Because it looks like Lincoln Riley has gone in-home visit with Tumisi Adele, the Texas A&M defensive lineman, the number one rated defensive lineman in the portal right now, who we talked about at the top of the show and in the middle of the show. Uh, Lincoln Riley's on an in-home visit with him. Uh, not sure if that is accurate as of today or that was uh 48 hours ago or 24 hours ago but there is a picture floating out of him in home visit with adele and that actually sets up beautifully for our next topic which is usc coaches have been out recruiting this week taking in home visits visiting high schools for 2024 prospects so Gerard, can you kind of for the filthy casual break down an in-home visit and how many you get and and when you can take an in-home visit yeah, so with in-home visits, the head coach only gets one per cycle. So you're seeing Lincoln Riley go in with uh, most of the commits, 
and get that in-home visit. He was in with uh, Tackett Curtis and uh, Braylon Shelby. And so a bunch of those players that are already committed that they're going to sign during the early signing period, which is going to be December 21st this year, it's been pushed back. Uh, those guys are going to get their one in-home visit with Lincoln Riley uh, this week, if not next week. The guys that are, you know, the, un- the non-committed guys that might be signing, might not be signing, they might want to wait and, you know, have Lincoln Riley go in maybe a little later in the recruiting process to kind of try to close the deal with it. So we're talking about Mateo Ungolele. Probably going to see an in-home visit with him maybe like next week or the week after. Um, trying to position themselves there to get the last word, if you will. With the assistant coaches, they can go in weekly. So you're going to see multiple uh, visits from guys like Zach Hansen, um, Josh Hansen, uh, Kyle McDonald, uh, Dennis Simmons, etc. Those guys will come in uh, almost weekly and see those commits and see a lot of the guys that are not committed. In addition to having actual in-home visits, which you can only have with the 2023 class, the seniors, you have on-campus visits because this is an evaluation period uh, for uh, the 2024 class. So you can go out and like Lincoln Riley did, he showed up to Willis um, High School in Texas and was just kind of showing his presence, just swinging by to say hello, bump into him. You know, you can't have kind of like this big meeting or not the same as an in-home visit where maybe you play Monopoly or you draw up the next uh, Spencer Fano play. Um, this is just like, a you know, I'm on campus. I'm here to see a bunch of different players in general. And, oh, yeah, oh, I forgot that you guys had DJ Lagway here. Oh, yeah, how's he doing sort of thing. So you're seeing a lot of that as well. Seeing a lot of it. And as we mentioned, you know, we didn't cover practice this week or I didn't cover practice this week because staff is all out on the on the road. And as I mentioned, you know, Lincoln Riley did stop in to see DJ Lagway. You know, Deuce Robinson, Zach Hansen tweeted out that that photo or that picture or that location of him being in the pinnacle area. So they're out and about recruiting. And speaking of recruiting, we have another segment on our decommitment season. And that would be Texas running back Ruben Owens, the Louisville commit, uh, has decommitted from the Cardinals. Cardinals has lost their head coach. He's going to Cincinnati. And that whole, you know, one of the five families of NIL, Gerard has mentioned Louisville up there and their run of St. John Bosco and all these prospects across the country. What's going to happen with that? And we've seen one domino right now, Ruben Owens back on the board, five-star running back. He actually posted that he will be making his next commitment tonight at 8 p.m. So that actually might be happening very soon. I'm not sure if that's uh, central time, which I assume it is. So Maybe in nine minutes here, we'll figure out where Ruben Owens' his next school is going or if it's some kind of cheeky top two or something. I don't know. But he said commitment. So that is another big one for decommitment season, Gerard. Yeah, and um, sort of almost like a, a portal uh, commitment, you know, where you get one of those top players that's in there for nine hours and they've already committed to a school. And it's like, wow, okay, so I guess you made that decision that quickly or there was a lot going on behind the scenes before that uh, public transfer was made known. And I think with Owens, I do know that Jimbo Fisher was evidently at El Campo uh, earlier in the week. So AM trying to make a move there. AM seems to be losing everybody. And so they want to actually get him coming into the program. Uh, and Texas has been a big player for Ruben Owens for a long time. Um, Ruben Owens decommits. I'm shocked. Said no one. <laughs> so Shocked. 
No love for the, coach. Uh, the Papa John's, the Papa John's NIL, not necessarily holding up. And this is a Papa John's NIL. How dare the, you? How dare this you? This is the empirical evidence that you know we we wanted to see play out as we were in the summer and we sat here and we we're on this podcast talking about all these deals with uh, the four families at NIL and all the upfront money guys were getting to make commitments. Would it stand the test of time? You know, would those deals actually be contract obligations, which kids were not going to get out of, or were there going to be plenty of deals there where kids were like, Hey, thanks for that money. You know, maybe they give it back. Maybe they don't, but they still end up at other schools. And we've seen several examples of the latter. And so Ruben Owens would certainly be one of those players that, uh, you know, you have some coaching changes and uh, he says, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else and get a new deal. And so this is why, you know, there's an argument to be made when it comes to NIL and NIL deals that uh, you don't make those in July. You know, you make those in December when these kids are actually going to commit and they can be binded to something like an, uh, a national letter of intent. So we're going to see, you know, I don't think USC is involved. USC, unfortunately, uh, never actually got him on campus officially. He told me during spring after his unofficial visit, his father told me they were for sure going to take an official visit and, you know, kind of like a few weeks before those visits started getting scheduled, I, I reached out to him again. In fact, I reached out to him right after the spring game. I think I, I talked to them right before the spring game. And then that fell through because that was when they were coming back out to USC for another unofficial visit. And then I called them afterwards to see, well, okay, are you going to take an official visit then? Is that still going? And they were like, yeah. Uh, in fact, we're going to do it in June. And it sounded like it was going to be the second week of June, which ended up being that golden hour and then I called them back and, and I didn't get any answers and then I was texting back and forth and I got some real short answers and I knew something was up like something had changed I, I don't know well, it's just like over the the course of a couple of weeks it just you know there was uh not that enthusiasm and excitement about talking about USC so uh yeah one of those uh, NIL deals that uh, fell through he'll find another one and um you know I don't think USC is really going to be involved here I would be shocked if they were involved there. And now, Gerard, we're moving through two points after a two-hour first half of the show. We're moving through, but here's where we're going. Here's where we're going, Gerard. <laughs> USC versus Utah in the Pac-12 Championship recruiting angle. You didn't post one on the board because it wasn't, wasn't really much to discuss. And we, you, know, you knew we were going to discuss it here on the podcast, which you've done every week. And we've also confirmed that it wasn't our fault that USC lost to Utah the week we didn't do the podcast because we did a podcast this week and they got the results 47-24. Caleb Williams obviously injured, wounded. His hamstring was not 100%, wasn't even 50% uh, per Lincoln Riley. Popped it on that big run in the first quarter and then defense kind of fell apart there in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Caleb Williams, you know, got them within three, but the wheels fell off. Gerard, you watched that game. Uh, I know people want to, you know, maybe they don't want to relive the game, but they're interested to hear your thoughts and kind of your perspective through the angle of this recruiting angle in terms of, you know, your positives and your negatives. I feel like you want to start with the positives just because there are less things to talk about there. No, I think we should start bad news first and then we'll wrap it up with the positives. I think that's probably the best way to go about it. I didn't write about it because I really just didn't think people wanted to read <laughs> about the fair game. enough fair enough and um you know I think to start with the negatives the scoreboard 
was a negative. The way they ended the game, you don't want to look like you got blown out. And certainly, it was a game that was very competitive. I mean, USC was up 17-3 at one point, 17-nothing. I don't know. I can't even remember. Blinked out of uh, the, the, the beginning of the game where USC controlled it and looked dominant um, up until the point where Caleb Williams got hurt. And But the way you ended the game obviously didn't look good uh, scoreboard-wise. And we talked about this many times on the podcast that you know a lot of kids are just looking at scoreboards. Like, they're looking at box scores. They're looking at highlights. And they don't really see what happened in the game. And so, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, that wasn't necessarily a, a great thing. But I, I think, you know, contextually, the fact that your quarterback couldn't really play half of his game, you know, that the, the, the offense had to really change almost completely because he was a mobile uh, was a was a big issue. Um, I think one of the interesting things we talked about going into the game is how would Utah play USC the second time around? Um, going back to Sam Darnold at USC, he had such a great redshirt freshman year, you know, came on off the bench for Max Brown and USC goes on this big tear and Sam Darnold just looks like Superman. You know, he, he's having a, a very sort of Caleb Williams type year. People kind of forget how good Sam Darnold was that redshirt freshman year. You know why they forget redshirt sophomore year. He had something <laughs> like 22, 25 by himself. And it goes to show you that defenses, once they get film on you, and once they see you, they really start to dial in how they want to scheme against you. And this is something that USC has got to be cognizant of next season. And, and certainly I'm, I'm sure Lincoln Riley is cognizant of this. There's people that have brought up some stats, and I don't know, I, I don't know what the stats are off the top of my head, but that his offenses had become less and less productive each year at Oklahoma, I believe was the, the statistic um, to, to some effect, you know, total offense and what have you. But that sort of stands to reason because defenses are going to have film on you. They're going to have a better of who on your on your team to really kind of focus in on and how to play against that player's tendencies. That's the big thing is tendencies. You know, which which way does that quarterback like to scramble? Where does he throw the most accurately and the best in terms of whether he's scrambling right or scrambling left? Uh, what coverages against what teams did he struggle throwing against? And what routes did they like to run on certain downs? It's all about tendencies and patterns. And defensive coordinators get a chance to see that uh, much more often when they've got film on you uh, for a whole year. And so that was interesting. Um, certainly, it's it's hard to say how well Utah's defense played against Caleb Williams with him being as hurt as he was. But I think against the run game, this was certainly where Utah knew exactly how to play against USC. And again, you know, this is somewhat impacted by Caleb Williams, but Utah was selling out on their gaps. They were completely selling out, shoot, kind of being a little kamikaze with it, blitzing the gaps, going after the gaps. And with USC's kind of slower developing GT option plays, those sort of those guard tackle counter plays that they run and they pull, you saw Justin Dietrich, you saw Bobby Haskins, you saw multiple guys getting blown up at the line of scrimmage or getting knocked off their feet as they were trying to pull across the formation. And so this is something that, again, Lincoln Riley's got to take a step back and look at. You know, we need to have some more runs where we run right at defenses and we try to shoot those gaps with trap plays or something that opens up because they're being so aggressive and trying to attack 
the line of scrimmage and trying to knock our linemen off of their routes, trying to get to blocks as they're pulling. So that was something that I saw. And again, you know, because you don't have Caleb Williams as a run threat, that backside of the defense can be a lot more aggressive. I mean, you saw several times where Austin Jones, who himself is a very patient runner, is kind of trying to find a hole. That backside of the defense, that defensive end is collapsing because he knows Caleb Williams can't run the ball. So he's not going to, you know, use that as an option. And, and we saw this with uh, Clay Helton's teams, with, you know, the, the quarterbacks that were not very uh, athletic and running those shotgun mesh read option plays, yet not having a quarterback who's really, truly a run threat. And that was something that I've said and said, and I'll continue to say, you have to have a running quarterback running that type of offense. And that is where we go to DJ Lagway. And we talk about Elijah Brown. We talk about guys like Dylan Rayola and why I was very skeptical of USC going in after him as hard as they did. And to some extent, it, it asks the question, how does Miller Moss look in this offense going forward? Because I do think there's a good chance that we're not going to see Caleb Williams against Tulane. We might not see several players against Tulane. This is going to be one of the more difficult jobs, coaching, motivating, and recruiting because he's going to try to have to get some guys that might want to opt out to play that Lincoln Riley has had in quite some time. So we're going to see what this offense with a quarterback who is not a true dual threat quarterback. I think to me, it erases out that USC in the future, however, going forward should probably be recruiting guys who have good film in high school, running the ball by design, right? Just running the ball by design, not, Hey, he's a good scrambler. No, this is a guy that you want to run the ball, you know, a handful of times a game, and he's going to be able to gash the defense if they do not respect that run. So that was something that we took and we learned, I think, a lot. We're still going to have to sit back, be patient, see if Miller Moss ends up being the starter playing against Tulane, because then we'll see Lincoln Riley actually getting to prepare a pocket quarterback in his offense. And it will certainly be different, right? It was certainly... You know, you can't just throw Miller Moss in the middle of the game and the game plan has been with Caleb Williams and think it's going to be as successful. You you do want to see what Lincoln Riley does knowing that he's got a pocket quarterback. You're going to see some change in protections. They might run the ball a little differently, but it's going to be interesting nonetheless to see how they play against Tulane. who's going to be very motivated and pumped up. This is like a big game for them with USC. Obviously, they're going to be disappointed, even though it's the Cotton Bowl, which that stadium hasn't been very good to USC, but it's still a very prestigious uh, New Year's Six Bowl. So that's, you know, sort of a, a negative, but also a learning point. Um, you know, that second year, I think seeing Riley, or excuse me, second year, second game, seeing Riley and seeing Caleb Williams, is that going to be like year two, you know, playing in the Pac-12? Because that, that, that would be interesting. If this offense isn't scoring 40 points a game, well, that defense better be a hell of a lot better if they want to win 11, 12 games next season. So the tropes, you know, of Oklahoma, I think, to wrap up the negatives, um, you, you know, the tropes of Riley coming from Oklahoma. Don't play defense. Bullied in the trenches. Uh, just trying to outscore teams. Uh, that's kind of what people talked about with him at Oklahoma, not being able to win those college football championship games. And unfortunately, it, it, it brought that back to light again. Uh, the way they played Utah because they were just flat out bullied and blown up at the line of scrimmage many times. And they just didn't, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't stop the run. 
Uh, it, it was a bad game from that standpoint. And and truthfully, you know, when you talk about that offense and the in the philosophy of you know, are we going to do the the sort of Chip Kelly thing where we're just going to try to win a couple possessions off of turnovers and then we get so far ahead because we score on every drive that it forces the other's team offense to kind of get out of their game plan a bit and it sort of snowballs on them. The difference between the Pac-12 and the Big 12, I would say, is that the Pac-12 is actually a bit more physical than the Big 12 has been. The Big 12 has been more, even more of a pass-happy league, uh, I think, in Lincoln Riley's run at Oklahoma than the Big or than the Pac-12 has been. The Pac-12, if you look at who's won the Pac-12 and been the and, and been kind of the, the the top dog in the Pac-12, you had Stanford go on their run. Stanford was all about just running the ball and and putting three tight ends at the line of scrimmage. And then you had Oregon with Mario Cristobal who wanted to be big like that and wanted to be aggressive like that and physical like that up front with all that offensive line recruiting that they did. And now you have Utah back, another physical team. So, yeah, you're going to have to play some physical football, and there's going to be games, and this is true uh, just in general of football, where your offense doesn't play well, whether it be because of an injury or because the quarterback's girlfriend dumped them or there's just a lack of timing, you're coming off a bye week, you're always susceptible one or two games during the season of a really elite offense, a really good offense, having a bad week. And that's where you've got to depend on your defense. And the defense, just in general, was negative for USC from that standpoint in this game. Now, positives. You want to talk about the positives now, Chris? I definitely do. Give me the positive. Give me the, give me the one and a half positives from this game. USC won double the amount of games than they did last year and double the amount of games, excuse me, double the amount of games. They won more double that. They won double the <laughs> you amount like of me. games. You sound like that, me right now. That we projected that they were going to win from last year, right? So they not only doubled their wins from last year, but they doubled, I think, the expectation of more realistic Trojan fans winning 11 games. Okay, so the turnaround from that standpoint was tremendous. And it was a very successful, it was a great season for USC. It was absolutely a great season. Now, you want to see them finish off strong. You don't want to go and have that type of game at the end of the year against Utah and then turn around and lose a bowl game too, because that lingers, right? You can't play yourself out of that. The one thing about Oregon getting dog walked by Georgia in the beginning of the year is that they were able to play themselves out of that to some extent. People kind of forgot that they got completely blown out and owned by Georgia to open the season when they started beating teams. You know, they beat BYU, and then they get in there, and they get they get that close game against Washington State, and then they beat UCLA. And people are like, Georgia, what? Who? Did Oregon play Georgia? Oh, I forgot about that. You don't have that at the end of the year. You're, you're sitting here with that Utah L hanging over your head, and you turn around and lose the Cotton Bowl. You've got all offseason to have to recruit around that, right? So you don't want – you want to end the year – strong and you want to have a good close to this bowl game so that's going to be important for them nevertheless it's still from the standpoint of development at certain positions that we've seen certainly the offense and how quickly it was so good so so quickly i mean it was good in the spring game i'm thinking how are they this organized in the spring game clay helton had seven years and couldn't get out of a spring game without blowing his first three timeouts in the first five minutes of the game so how in the world is this team look so good right now? So I think from that standpoint, it's obviously a big positive. And, uh, you know, that in and of itself, it gives people a lot of hope, certainly, 
for the team going forward that they could be this good first year. Uh, and this is, you know, what most Trojan fans hope to be the worst USC team <laughs> that they have under Lincoln Riley. We'll see. I mean, they got some pretty good transfers there. And Caleb Williams is, you know, maybe a generational talent. But nevertheless, uh, certainly defensively, they hope this is, you know, the worst team personnel-wise that USC will field, and they still won 11 games. A big positive, Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman Trophy. Caleb go. Williams doesn't, use the, doesn't win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, we're not going to do podcasts that week because we're going to be in <laughs> protest. That's baloney. There's no way he is definitely winning the Heisman Trophy. So that's another Heisman Trophy to Lincoln Riley. That's another Heisman Trophy um, that, you know, is a reason why losing DJ Lagway at this point is just not a big deal for Trojan fans. Um, the Heisman Trophy and what it brings to the table in terms of recruiting down the road is very significant. And, and certainly what we saw with Reggie Bush and how USC was able to continue to recruit off of Reggie Bush years, like decades later. I mean, there's still kids that talk about Reggie Bush and Matt Liner. Now, there were national championships that went along with that. And that, that's key. You know, they're playing in the biggest games on the biggest stage and those guys were showing out and you still have to bring that aspect of it. But nevertheless, Caleb Williams, just the way he plays and the highlights and the fact that, you know, he will win the Heisman, I think is, is a huge selling point and recruiting point going down the line. And, and it will be big for USC. Maybe not immediately when they get Nelson and it's obviously helped you know, secure his commitment, but down the line, I think even outside of the quarterback position, it's mega. It's it's a huge, huge deal to get a Heisman Trophy. Um, the playoff consideration under the first year in and of itself, it, it was it was ridiculous, right? Like I know Shotgun got a lot of like backlash for saying this team is not ready for the playoff. He was a hundred percent right. This team was not ready for the college football playoff. Are you kidding me? This no way. This they're just not they're just not sound enough all around to not go against a Michigan. Or and everybody's like, well, but Michigan lost to this team. They lose. They only beat this team by three points, and USC won that game. And then they played this team. That nonsense that that fans do on Mr. Sports. Listen, USC was not ready for a college football playoff game. I don't think it would have necessarily been a good thing to go against Georgia and get blown out like Oregon did. Why? I just explained it. It's at the end of the season in a playoff game, and you can say, well, we made it to the playoff, and that was great. Listen, if you just look embarrassing on the field, it's not good for your football program. And you don't get to play yourself out of that. Okay. It's not the beginning of the season like Oregon had, where you got a whole season ahead of you. It's the end of the season. And you just got that L just hanging over your head the whole offseason. It's not a good look, right? So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world not to go to the college football playoff and, and play Georgia when you're just personnel wise. Not at that level yet. They got to get better on the offensive line. They got to get better on the defensive line. They got to get better on linebacker. They just got to get better in a lot of ways. So the fact that you just get that consideration, that's really the good thing. That's the thing. Oh, yeah, you know what, man? They they were close. They were close to it. I mean, honestly, the best thing, in my opinion, that could have happened, and I know a lot of Trojan fans will, will have issues with this, which won't be popular, but it would have been they got snubbed and they beat Utah. That would have been the best of the old world. So if you would have been like, hey, yeah. Utah – USC should have been there. Man, USC's offense with blah, 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 blah. But Caleb Williams, they would have done this against Georgia, but not actually have the chance because we know that they probably would have not done this, that, and the other against Georgia. So I think, you know, from the standpoint of just where they are wins-wise, um, the continued development 
of certain positions. We saw that with the offensive line. And again, didn't play well against Utah. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, Mason Murphy looking like a guy that uh, I think he should be bumped inside, especially watching that Utah game. Uh, but I mean, you know, you have a bad game and you kind of come away with those sort of harsh opinions. But nevertheless, I think it's going to be a really good player for USC down the line. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the second wave of receivers that all stepped up this year and played really well. Guys like Michael Jackson, you know, seeing Kyle Ford reemerge again after the two ACLs that he's had. Uh, there's there's just a lot of uh, uh, excitement there um, from, you know, what can happen with the offensive line, uh, what can happen with the uh, skill positions. you still got another year of Caleb there. You've got Malachi Nelson coming in after him. You have, you know, those great receivers that are coming in. Certainly the defensive side of the ball, you hope can upgrade and get better and it can, close the margin on, you know, what the offense is doing and, you know, whether the defense is a liability or not. The defense played some good games this year. You know, they played well against Oregon State. Oregon State was a good team. That was a hostile environment. You know, they they showed flashes. It's just, I think, there was some exploits there in that second level didn't have good enough players. And um, certainly, again, with all those tropes that came with Lincoln Riley coming from Oklahoma, you know, they're just trying to outscore teams. They're, they're not physical front. They've got to get away from that. They've got to figure out a way where they can be tough and they can be um, philosophically at a level that they are going to be able to play against these 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 teams like Alabama, Clemson, you know, uh, Ohio State, uh, Georgia, these teams that are, are, are around that college football playoff, you know, annually. Gerard Ruben Owens committed Texas A&M. Just happened right now. Ooh. Everyone's jumping ship. He's jumping in, so. Hey, you know what? I mean, uh, Collins, uh, a King Kong. Uh, we were we were all <laughs> like, oh man, he decommitted from Michigan. He went to Miami. <laughs> so hey, Bags that heavy. nil baby, it's strong. Bags heavy. It's strong. It's strong. I told you, Jimbo was up there at El Campo. He knew what he was doing. He knew it was <laughs> up. He knew it was coming. So uh, that's an interesting one for Texas A&M. They lost the uh, what? L.J. Johnson to uh, the portal. Lane uh, Johnson. Whatever. I don't uh, know. What no, that's the wide receiver. L.A. Johnson, yes. Um, and he was a, a, a decent player for them. He was a highly ready recruit. Uh, I don't know if uh, USC would be interested in him, but uh, nevertheless, uh, interesting that uh, you know A and M still A and M still 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 dangerous out there on the recruiting trail. And with that, I think we can move on to our final topic, which I believe you don't really want to talk about but no, i just i don't want to linger on <laughs> okay uh, we, we don't have to linger you don't want to linger on prime time that's fine but college football carousel you know we had a big update last week with david shaw Hugh freeze luke fickle kenny dillingham matt rule our busiest uh college football carousel to date but today it's all about one man and one man only and that's Deion sanders officially Coming to Colorado. So, Gerard, I only really have two questions for you on the topic of Deion Sanders coming to the Pac-12 at Colorado, which is a weird pairing. I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. But from Colorado's standpoint, you got an energetic coach, you know, brought up a lot of tension, a lot of juice to that program, which has been, you know, beaten up, dormant, as you, as you mentioned uh, on a previous episode. But anyway, my two questions are, who lasts? last longer Hugh Freeze at Auburn or Deion Sanders at Colorado and what impact does Colorado and Deion Sanders have of any of USC's recruiting first question it's a good question 
I kind of think Hugh Freeze. Because I feel like if Dion doesn't work out, he's going to see himself out the door. He's not going <laughs> to hang around in a bad situation. And if he does well, then he's probably one foot out the door trying to get a bigger job. Um, so, yeah, I kind of think Hugh Freeze might actually end up being a guy, even though it's it's tough at Auburn. Listen, you know, Nick Staben is going to retire at some point. So, you know, he may retire in the next couple of years. And, you know, if you're Auburn, you're you're right there with with Georgia trying to compete for, you know, what Alabama was. Right. Everybody in the SEC is chasing what Alabama was uh, and, and still to some extent is. So, yeah, I guess I, I guess I probably say Hugh Freeze at that point uh, in terms of competing for recruits. We'll have to see. Right now, it's kind of uh, they're going after a bunch of castaways, it seems like, in in Florida, uh, South Florida guys. Um, you know, they're going to bring in a bunch of guys from Jackson State. Obviously, you know, that's a smaller program, so you're not going to bring in a bunch of those guys. I mean, you, you don't want to play Jackson State players against uh, high Division One level guys. Uh, but, you know, Colorado is pretty bad. So you, you're definitely going to see a lot of roster turnover. In the future, I'm sure you'll see – some, um, you know, battles between Colorado and, and USC it really depends on the makeup of his uh, of his staff and how, you know, what connections they have to California. They probably will go a lot more into Texas, I think, because Dion has lived in Texas for a while. Um, I think going after a bunch of guys in South Florida might be difficult. They're, they're not going to be feeling that snow too much or that elevation. Yeah. Um, but uh, but Texas guys, yeah, I could see them going after. I think when Colorado was good many moons ago and we talked about Colorado and, and when they were good, we talked about uh, Cordell Stewart slash, and you thought I was talking about guns and roses lead guitar player. Slash um, baby. They got a bunch of guys from California, a bunch of guys from Texas. I was basically their, their roster. It was Eric B enemy guys. And, and then a bunch of guys from, from Texas. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. You know, I mean, obviously it's, it's big for Colorado just to get a guy that sort of puts them on the mat, gets people talking about them. I just don't want to get into talking about, you know, everything about Deion Sanders and how he left and everything else that was talked about so much on the peristyle. We had like six different threads and I think we had one guy start like three of them. So it was like, okay, come on. Like, you know, we'll, it was we'll, Dion himself when, when it felt like it, when it's, when it's uh, actually, there's something to talk about, you know, that's, that's relevant to USC then sure. Um, as of right now, you know, Colorado has got a long ways to go. Um, you know, I'm sure people felt like that with USC. We didn't. We thought USC, you know, within the first two to three years was was capable of being in a national championship game. Then with Colorado, there's there's a, a, a bit more ways to go. But as you touched on, it's a very strange combination. Um, I thought it was very strange that the AD, I think it was the AD or the president at Colorado. Yeah. Some, something to the effect that they can't afford Deion Sanders. Well, they, they don't have the money yet. It's like it's coming. Like oh, I don't know what that that, that's, that's, that that's doesn't good, sound good. It's not a good sign, judging from the situation Deion Sanders came from at Jackson State, um, and we know that Colorado's had a lot of issues with money in the athletic program for many many years. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But um, nevertheless, you know, congrats to my guy Armand Hawkins Jr. who's there still in the the support staff. I'm sure he's loving this. Nice. And, you know, he's a guy that's a mover and a shaker. So. Um, you know, he'll, he'll probably fit in very well and helping them, you know, again, you, they need to have some guys with connections in California in order to, get to, to recruit California. Um, and then you got to win. So they'll get an initial surge, you know, with transfers and, uh, some guys, I mean, you know, everybody's, you know, kind of making the joke at this point, 
you know, every transfer that, that comes up, it's like, oh, he's going to Colorado, you know, because that's just how it goes. You know, Colorado fans are feeling themselves. They're even on our message board talking about revenge and stuff, which, you know, <laughs> kind of roll your eyes at. But uh, nevertheless, uh, they're excited. So, um, you know, maybe, hey, maybe this is the thing that gets Colorado on the map with the Big Ten. You never know. Could uh, exactly. Dion be a big enough name that he could actually, you know, get the, the Buffaloes uh, out of the red and actually get them into the Big Ten? Probably not, but, you know. We would never hear the end of it from him if that was the case, knowing Deion Sanders. But Who's I am swag happy that I, if I am I'm not swag. Who's I, Big Ten if I'm not Big Ten? I Who? I will love I, I am glad that we'll get one Deion Sanders Pac twelve Media Day. We only get one more, and I'm glad we'll have Deion Sanders there and see if he flips out on anyone for not calling him coach Dion, like he did at the for for the, the whole Coach Saban stuff or whatever. But very quickly, did you also see the video of him addressing the team? And he basically told them to get in the portal? No, at Jackson State? No, at uh, Colorado. His oh. first talk with the team in the meeting room, he basically said, uh, he basically said, get in the portal. I'm bringing, I'm bringing my luggage, and my luggage is Louis, like Louis Vuitton, you know, referencing players that are coming oh. with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it, it it started a, quite a uh, a conversation on Twitter as to is that fair or is that not fair or is that something he should have done, not should have done. Um, I mean, if it ends up on Twitter, it's something you should not should have done. That's that's always the rule. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was just I like mean, the, the the social media team filming him talking to them for the first time. Yeah, exactly. That's that's <laughs> the mistake. I mean, supposedly he sat down with the Jackson State team, and uh, it was like two hours after it broken on Twitter, and said, "Let me be the first to tell you. I'm going to tell you before anybody else tells you." <laughs> it's like Dion, it's already out there, man. Like you're not the first to tell anybody anything. So I don't know. Maybe there's just a lack of awareness there. He's going to learn. I mean, Jackson State's a much different situation than, than Colorado. As, as bad as Colorado has been, they still got to play a bunch of teams that uh, are, are, you know, power five teams. So, you know, um, you, you got to be careful, man. You got to know your personnel. Uh, there's a lot going on with the power five teams when it comes to support staff and assistant coaches and your own personnel. And, you know, you, you just don't want to you just don't want to end up next year with 70 players on the team. You know what I mean? And think, mm-hmm. OK, well, whatever. There's 70 good players and we we lost a bunch of trash players. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, you're going to play first team against first team the whole season. In practice. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the you got to think about all that kind of stuff. That's why I'm always a, a proponent of, you know, maybe extra recruiting over with uh, offensive linemen and, and not necessarily uh, just having, you know, a bunch of guys that are five star guys on offensive line. That sounds good on paper. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just need some of those mortar guys that uh, can uh, can contribute for you here and there, but are good scout team players. And with that, I think we can move on from primetime, Gerard, um, much to your joy. And we can get into some listener questions. And again, if you have a question that you want to be read on the podcast or considered to be read, because I've started doing not all the questions because these podcasts usually take a long time, as you know, and then the questions take up like over an hour of time to do. So I, I've been limiting which questions I pick. But if you want to send a question in, you can email us at podcast.com. Make sure you put the composite 10K, recruiting podcast, hurricane, cilantro boys, whatever. Put it in the subhead and it'll get into my inbox when we do these shows. Gerard, I only got a couple for you or a few. 
Uh, let's jump into Eric from Duck Country. Chris and Hurricane, you were saying last podcast that you sh- you think teams should only take players from the porthole that have been serious contributors on other teams and not base it off high school rankings. What about young players who have not had the chance? Would you take someone like Josh Connerly over an all-conference group of five or FCS player? Thanks, Eric and Duck Country. Uh, right off the bat, I would probably say yes, Gerard. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you read that question again? <laughs> Basically, if I'm just going to distill it down for you, you would you take a young player who hasn't played that had maybe a high ranking out of high school but just has sat for two years and hasn't gotten to play? Like a Rajon Davis on USC side, if he were to go in the portal. An example he gives here, would you take Josh Connerly if he entered the portal, I guess now, over an all-conference starting tackle or an FCS player that's FCS All-American or a two-year starter from a group of five? It dep- it's a case-by-case basis because obviously, you know, need comes into play here in terms of what your depth chart looks like, right? Um, I think now... I- I don't know about me. I, I think that college coaches are going more and more for guys that have been productive as transfers that are already college players. I think there's just this feeling like that is so much more of a a sure bet. Like you just know what you're getting so much more. And, and maybe, you know, some of this goes back to the COVID year talk and, and maybe they just felt that, that way because there was that year that they didn't get to evaluate those guys in person. And, and that's why that attitude persists. But you look across the street over at UCLA and those guys are psyched to recruit transfers and they are so not psyched to recruit high school (laughs) players. I mean, they just don't offer anybody. You don't hear about them making waves on visits. It's just so disinterested in recruiting the high school ranks right now uh, with Chip Kelly and his staff. And so I do think that, there are quite a few staffs though that do feel like that and are like, uh, you know, high school guy, you know, this is what we think, but just a just a, you know, a starter from a mid major, uh, if at a certain position, you know, you feel like it's, you know, not, not necessarily like your first string running back or your number one wide receiver, right? Like not, not those guys, but, Maybe your 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 third receiver, maybe your second string running back, you know, maybe an offensive guard, maybe just a, you know a defensive end. You're you're feeling like you'd rather backlog the class overall with those type of players than going after some you know like two four seven four star guy that's like ranked you know two thirty one, and you're like okay you know I, we like him, but he's not great. And we talked about just with the offers. You know, some of these guys that they've offered later in the year, some defensive backs and what have you, um, you know, we've already seen a decommitment uh, from USC that was based uh, basically on we don't want development guys. We want to get guys that 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 come in right away that we know what to expect from them. And so that's a sign. That's a sign that uh, they, just, they, they want to limit the amount of uncertainty as possible you know it's it's like uh the casino just trying to uh 
trying to 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 get every advantage as possible, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, they're 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 definitely um, uh, tilting things towards uh, their 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 advantage, and that's I think what the coaching staffs are trying to do in terms of what they have on their roster. You know, they want the sure bets. I have a question from Paul in Vegas. Hi, procedural question. What is portal recruiting like? Do potential recruits get official all expenses paid visits to campuses? Are there any tryouts, physicals, things of that nature? Thanks, Paul in Vegas. Well, they do get official visits. So, yes, they do get, you know, all expenses paid uh, trips uh, to campuses. So that is the similar. I don't I don't think there's I don't think that even goes on in the high school level physicals, Gerard. Uh, I think they, you, know, you can get measured and stuff, but I don't think there's any sort of physical that goes on. Uh, and I guess he's asking for portal players because, as we've we've hit on, you know, not recruiting players that have past injuries or anything like that. Um, yeah, you do get uh, a, a review for past medical history when you've had some type of injury. Uh, a lot of times, the schools, the medical staffs will. They want to get x-rays. They want to get things. Um, they want to see, you know, where, where you're at with stuff. And they'll ask that you bring that stuff with you. Um, I don't know. If it's, it's not mandatory at all, but certainly becomes an issue if, um, you know, you've got a knee injury or you had a shoulder injury and it's like, oh, I uh, forgot, you know, my MRI. <laughs> and it's like, uh-huh. So there is a little bit of that that goes on. But, um, yeah, they are all paid for. You get five more official visits just like you did out of high school, uh, you you know, 48 hours on campus. They're much the same. What we've seen with some of the bigger transfers, however, like Caleb Williams is a good example. He never took an official visit to USC. That I mean, When he was at USC, he paid that whole visit. That was all on his – it was really an unofficial visit. And that's why he ended up at the Rams game and he was going here and he's going there. You can't take kids officially to uh, a Rams game if you're USC. You can't do certain things. Um, off campus so some of these guys that are that are making money <laughs> you know they got nil deals they pay their way they do whatever you know they don't necessarily have to go through um, the same process that uh, other guys will but that's there for them if they want to take an official visit have their 48 hours on campus um, have their meetings with coaches stay at the uh at the the, the, the what is it the forget the the hotel that they stay in downtown marriott is it the Marriott? The TW Marriott? JW Marriott? It's the TW something. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyways, um, yeah, they, they go through that whole process. Now, in terms of when they can visit, it's a little different. There is a window for transfers that is if, and this was last year, so the rules may have changed, but this is why Caleb and Mario Williams were able to come in the weekend they were. It was actually dead period for high school football players. Uh, it was like that second week right after New Year's. And if your school enrolls within a week of that dead period, you can bring transfers in on official visits during that period. So UCLA could not have Caleb Williams in on an official visit because their quarter system and their enrollment window was way back in like the end of January or something. It's like, what? it's not, not nearly close to that dead period. So I don't know if that's going to be the way it is this year. If, if, you know, it lines up the same way, but uh, there's, there's a week there where USC might be able to actually bring in transfers for visits that other schools cannot because they're a semester system. And they're usually coming in 
I, I think the enrollment like starts usually like January 9th. Um, I don't know what it is this year, but I'm just, you know, off the top of my head. It's around that time. It's like the 9th or the 13th or something around that second week of January is usually when USC spring semester starts or, or, or at least where you can enroll. And that allows for those visits, even though freaking Caleb Williams, I don't think he enrolled actually, it's almost February. Like he didn't enroll at first. Um, but, uh, you obviously have, you know, the online classes and things you can take as well. So, you know, the whole thing, but, but that is a little different. That is a unique, odd little loophole there with, uh, transfers that, that is not true of uh, the high school kids. Dead period is a dead period is a dead period for the high school kids. They can't be on campus. We have sort of a question about Oklahoma and how it ties to USC. Fellows, why does Oklahoma have a higher rated recruiting class than us? They have a new staff just like us, but they finished six and six compared to our 11 and two ranking. Assuming the programs have similar NIL capabilities, I'd probably give the edge to S here if I'm being honest. I'm having trouble making sense of the class rankings. Thanks, Keith W. Uh, Oklahoma, I believe, is seventh in the rankings. Uh, USC is half of that at 14. Uh, I will say there are a, co- a couple contributing factors. One is Oklahoma has three more commits than USC currently does. They have 22. USC has 19. So you, obviously you get a, a boost in the rankings from that. And they have more top 100 commits at the moment. USC has four. They have six. And then I believe they have – they also have a higher number of top 200-level guys. I believe USC has uh, six, and they have upwards of eight, I believe, something along those lines. So they have more higher-rated guys in the top 100, top 200, and they have more guys in general. So that is a big difference in their their gap in the rankings. Yeah, sounds good to me. Sounds great to Gerard. Uh, we have another question here from Jesus. Question for the two-star pod. You guys have mentioned multiple times that USC could lose some commits to make space for more experienced transfers. Who are players that come to mind that would decommit from another school for that reason and end up at USC? That's a tough one because I don't know Yeah, that is anyone's a, that... off the top of my head. There's no one glaring <laughs> I mean, off the top That's of my literally head. looking at uh, – all of the kids that USC has offered that might be on the back end of a process, you know, a, a commit list. Like let's, let's look at offensive line because there's just not a lot of offensive line offers out there. Also Samson Unkunlola, the 6'5", 305 pound five-star offensive tackle from Braintree, uh, Maine is going to be making his commitment December 15th. So oh. USC, they want to try to get in some guys for that big December 16th weekend. It sounds like Cuncanola, uh is going to commit before that point. So uh, unless he's coming in this weekend, it uh, doesn't look like USC is going to be involved with him. Um, Gerard, what about Elijah Jacket? Uh, no, I don't okay. think so. I guess I think USC could have made a, a push for him already and, and haven't. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really see any guys that I think would be at the bottom half of a commit list that TJ Shannon transfer Shanahan. would push in. Shanahan? TJ Shanahan, you talking yeah, about? Yeah, Texas A&M. Uh, maybe. I mean, they've lost more guys though. They, I mean, they lost TJ <laughs> Williams, they lost a bunch of guys, so they're really kind of suffering from the opposite. You know, if Baylor was able to pull in a guy, would USC be able to get a look from Isaiah Robinson? 
I don't know that they made a big push for Isaiah Robinson. Now, Isaiah Robinson liked USC, took an unofficial visit to USC um, last year, and talked up USC. Sound like USC might might actually have a decent shot at him. Uh, certainly to get him on an official visit never happened, and I don't think USC really pushed for it happening. So you know that just might have been Josh Henson saying, "Eh, I don't like him that much." Um, you know, Lucas Simmons, USC uh, recruited a bunch. Could FSU potentially get like a big time offensive tackle transfer that would shake loose a, 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 a Lucas Simmons? Maybe that's a that's a big guy though to shake. I know loose. that's a, that's a pretty yeah. big time recruit, but. I mean, we're talking about, listen, we're talking about Jaheim Bell, right? What type of impact would he have committing to Georgia with Brock Bowers moving on on Deuce Robinson's recruitment? I think he would have a pretty big impact on it. So, I mean, it can't, it can't, it can't happen. It, it, could, it could be like that. But, you know, I think offensive line, defensive line, you know, I mean, is there – again, it's one of those things like how good is that player that, that you're actually – that's actually leaving the class. It's probably not going to be one of the top end guys. Um, but again, if it's a big time transfer, like a Jordan Addison type level guy and you're a receiver, but the thing is, is like, do you, you know, are you going after Jordan Addison? If you've got Makai lemon already on the, on, on the roster, right. You know, or are you bringing in a Makai lemon at that point? I, I don't, I don't know that you would be doing that. You're going after those transfers because you have those positions that are need positions. Um, I'm looking at the defensive line. If there's like a guy that uh, would scare off somebody like a Jaden Wayne, you know, who's committed to Miami. I mean, he didn't really look at USC either, but would that shake loose, you know, Jaden Wayne would that shake loose a guy like um, trying to see here. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't think there's any, I have to look at that more, you know, to see, I, I think you're looking more at the bottom half of recruit lists that are going to be guys that are looking at the transfer portal and you bring in somebody that is going to probably be able to make it be a starter right away or at least push for starting time and then that four-star guys like i thought i was going to do that you might have two guys at that position and then they move off and there's like you know i'm i'm i feel like the coaching staff sold me i'm playing early and then they're bringing somebody in to play over me which is listen so i mean you know usc has to treat with kid gloves as well you could do that to the running back position you know you bring in somebody over uh you know quentin joiner and uh marion peterson do they all of a sudden feel like oh well you know i felt like i had a a, a shot to play because they were losing two senior running backs and now all of a sudden they get some dude who's you know a, a big time player like uh trevion henderson or something of that nature you know somebody who has a name right that that comes along and uh, can can potentially start right away. They might feel a little bamboozled, you know, in that situation. Bamboozled, great, great word. And Gerard, we have our final question. Let's hit it quick. Uh, when the 16-team playoff comes around, what do you think will happen with conference championship games? Those teams that play in them will be at a huge disadvantage having to play an extra game before the playoffs. This is an interesting question I didn't really think about, but... Do you ever think it, there'll be a case where they just get rid of conference championship games and just go with the winner of the division to avoid that uh, that issue? <laughs> you mean bring back divisions? Yes, bring back divisions and have just like a division winner being the conference winner. I like mean, in, maybe just maybe just uh, I mean, 
that's but that's the, money they're losing with the conference championship game. You, kinda, you don't mess you with just, the money. You you kind of just play the conference out, and you know if the teams didn't play, then they play in the playoff kind of thing, right? Is there enough teams where you kind of have that? Maybe I, I, I yeah, I I know where you're talking about in terms of the business angle of it with conference championship games and how much money there's involved with it, but. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of think the the best solution there would be not to, yeah, not to not to play a conference championship game and, and not really to have divisions either. Just have these teams play each other, and so you know it's a round robin of sorts. It's kind of yeah. becoming more difficult though because you know you got bigger and bigger conferences now. So you know even divisionally, you know, what does it really mean anything if you've got four divisions in a conference, which is where we're headed with the SEC and this big national conference that's coming? You know, I don't know, but I agree. That conference championship games, uh, there's starting to be more negatives to, to conference championship games than positives. And USC found that out with that 2016 season. You know, that's kind of what I was talking about with them not going to the playoffs. The planets aligned in 2016 for Clay Helton because they, they, they not only were on a great run at the end of the year, and people are like calling them, oh, maybe the best football team in the nation. They weren't. If they would have gone, to the, co- the college football playoff, they would have gotten probably what pretty good. Okay. Um, but everybody thought perception wise, because they, they had Sam Darnold and they, they was like, oh man, you know what? USC is really good. And they lucked out because they had some injuries at the end of the year. They lucked out not having to play Washington in the conference championship game that year. And so they backed themselves in to the Rose Bowl, which was still, you know, big deal and very prestigious game because Washington won the conference championship game and then went into the college football playoff where, you know, they lost to, I think it was Ohio state. Uh, but um, you know, that was, that was a win-win for USC because they get to go to the Rose bowl uh, and they don't have to play, you know, Ohio state or, or Alabama or even Washington at that point. And they got to rest up. They got an extra week of recruiting. So yeah, the conference championship games are not all they're cracked up to be. Um, that's where I give a lot of credit to Alabama because they have won and they've had all that stuff thrown in front of them, and they've continued to win. And yeah, they do have their BS bye week, you know, against Austin P. And that's just an SEC thing. They've gamed the system. And the Pac-12 with Larry Scott was too stupid and lazy and arrogant to see what exactly you had to do to position yourselves to 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 take advantage of that. And they kept on playing nine conference games and beating each other up. But yeah, listen, you know what? You can lead a horse with water, but you can't make them drink. There you go. There you go. Gerard, that's all the questions I got for you. Um, it's been a long Okay, let's get back. Let's get back on that transfer portal. Who's in let's see what are the latest portal uh, I- I- entries here. We go we have go through them uh, player by player. Let's do it. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> we no. could do it. We could. We could do a whole another second show of everything this, that's happened since is, we started I will, recording. I will tell you, this is potentially 24-hour podcast material. Like, this, how consistent and, like, there's all this stuff happening, like, all the time. Like, we could literally sit here for hours and talk about these players. Now, we would be rehashing and going over things that we already talked about and going back and forth with it, right? But, I mean, 24-hour podcast, people are in and out. Not like people are going to sit there and listen for 24 hours. It's not about that. But nevertheless, this is actually interesting content that, I mean, there, like you said, I have a, just a, a, a something that I kind of put together of lists and, and stats and whatever in a spreadsheet. 
And it's like, you could go on and on. There's plenty. Good. We didn't even talk about East Carolina sophomore running back Keaton Mitchell, who I just was kind of looking through statistics and kind of looking at, at, at film stuff and going, who are some mid-major guys that USC would jump on uh, and, and might jump in the portal to try to get an NIL deal? Hey, go watch this guy's film. 179 carries, 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns as a sophomore for East Carolina. I mean, he he looks a little like a, a, a Raleigh Brown. You know, he might he might be a, a little bitter than Raleigh Brown. Like, that would be nice to have. Maybe two Raleigh Browns. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, we could talk forever about this stuff and break these guys down even more. You know, we have talked about heights and weights in high schools and high school filming. Chris, this is the stuff of 24-hour podcasts. They had already, like, the, the 24-hour po- podcast, live stream, whatever, had, like, died down. And now you just brought it back up. So I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy for whatever happens when you're sitting there on December 21st with me doing a live stream at 6 a.m. till 6 a.m. I hope you're happy. You deserve everything you get for bringing this back <laughs> up. You deserve it all. You deserve it all, Hurricane. With Ryan popping his head in for, like, 15 minutes. Right. Like, Ryan, come here. Say something else to break up the monotony of our voices. Charles been talking for three hours straight. All I've done is say yeah and laughed. Next week, baby. Let's go. So we'll see what happens uh, with uh, with visits this weekend. Because we, we I have a feeling they're going to bring in a handful of transfer official visits. It's been super, super duper quiet. Um, and that's how it is. It seems like with transfers, they're very tight-lipped with things. And, and trying to uh, get some info on maybe some guys. And again... With, with transfers, the other thing is these guys sometimes come in midweek. You know, they come in weird times. So it's, it's hard to, to cover uh, transfer recruiting. It's, it's the, a little different than high school. And, and the kids, the players themselves, some of them are grown men, are not really all that into it either. You know, <laughs> like they're not trying to uh, talk about it a whole lot. Uh, they kind of gone through the recruiting process already. So, you know, any of those little crumbs that you get from social media, sometimes they're just not there with some players. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll be back next week and we'll be ready for, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a, a big December 16th high school football official visit weekend. It'll be the last big weekend uh, that they have official visits before the early signing period. And then we'll be uh, we'll, we'll have a, a, a podcast for that. It's going to be a podcast left and right for you guys. So uh, stay tuned. This is what the podcast was made for, for months like this, for days like this. So we look forward to hitting our stride. Uh, at the end of season one of Composite Two Star Recruits, I think seasons will go by recruiting class, Gerard. So this season will end in January and we'll move to season two. I think that's how we'll do it. But that's until- that's tricky though, because you could have a Josh Connerly and there could be a guy that decides he's going to decide in February, maybe. So March. it should be February. Should be February fourteenth, uh, sixteenth, whatever the date is. Seventh. I don't. I don't even remember which date. Yeah, it is. I think it's like it's like the sixth, but the third or the sixth. Yes uh that's probably how we should do it yeah okay that's when the season will end so got a couple of months left of season one of composite two star recruits but we will catch you next time for our next episode i'm chris that's gerard see you later